up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Shit Podcast. This is episode 41. Uh, it's another interview where uh, I got to talk to a Naval Special Warfare tech, uh, also known as an enabler. Really cool guy, Petty Officer First Class. He'll give you his background, but it was a very interesting interview. Gave me a lot of perspective on how that world works a little bit, uh, and then how uh, we, we discussed a lot of his opinions and uh, positions on things just kind of, it, it was just a really good discussion because a lot of his opinions were run parallel to mine. Uh, and just the more perspective from, uh, another community enlisted guy from outside of the mess. And then on a whole host of other issues, we didn't spend, uh, the entirety of our conversation on that. So, uh, check it out. I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, and if you, if you do, I'm, I'm remembering, uh, like, share, subscribe, uh, review us, all the things, uh, to get the word out so that everybody sees this, uh, and gets the opportunity to listen to, uh, and with that, uh, check out the interview. So just, you start with your background, just give whatever, um, detail you want, right? I know some people don't want to use identity, stuff like that, but however much detail you want, as far as just your background in the Navy, how long you've been around your experience platforms, et cetera. And then we'll roll from there. You got it. So I'm going to not be able to help but identify myself some because I've had a pretty unique career path. Right. So if you can recognize my voice or my story, guys, hi. Uh, <laughs> I've had buddies in- do that to me where they're like, they have. I don't tell a lot of people that I do this. I, I kind of go out of my way to not on purpose. And I've had people that just random text messages out of nowhere like, do you have a podcast? And I was like, uh, yeah. And they're like, uh, like, I literally was just listening to it. Recognize your voice. And like, I know him. <laughs> it was funny, man. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, all good. So I joined the Navy in 2004 as a, uh, a nuke. I cut a 94 on the ASVAB. So yeah. you can imagine that my recruiter was extremely excited to see yeah. that. Yeah, mine too. Um, <laughs> In point of fact, I think like a lot of other nukes, uh, I didn't get offered anything else when I went up to MEPS. Uh, the, oh, wow. the contract was already written, $12,000 bonus. Hey, I got it for you. You ready to go? Let's do this. Uh, so I signed the contract and off I went to recruit training and went through the nuke pipeline. Uh, I was an electrician's mate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm no longer an electrician's mate, but we'll get right. to that. That was going to be, I was going to guess that based on our prior correspondence, but yeah, just keep going. But the, uh, I got through the whole pipeline. I got to my boat. Uh, I ended up being medically disqualified from submarines. I am what you as a submariner would call a quitter. Uh, I experienced suicidal ideation, uh, due to some things that were going on on my boat. Yeah. And I was denuked and desubmarined. And I was really fortunate that I had a really good squab who, saw my potential and instead of sitting there and uh, just riffing me out of the Navy, cause this was 2007 when we were dealing with a monster reduction right. in force, he pushed the ECMs to retain me and I put in a lateral conversion and was picked up first look for ET. Nice. Uh, so I went for, the, to- for the record, I would not call you a quitter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a, yeah. it is a common submarine thing. I a hundred percent know what you're talking about, but Oh yeah. And, and yeah, I got you. I, I mean, I, it's, it's a, your podcast. I yeah. know that you it's wouldn't, a, but it, right. It's a frustrating thing for me because it's it, the community itself can be so self like destructive, I guess, like where we eat our own a lot of the times. And it's just like, why? Like this is not productive, but yeah. Yeah. And, and we're going to talk some about that kind of, yeah. it's one of the topics I want to bring up, but Definitely. 
Uh, so I went, I ended up going up to good old great lakes yep. as a second class. Uh, Cause yeah. I picked up second while I was on my boat right. and I got to go through a school, uh, as a no warfare second class, which is a really interesting experience, yeah, which I'd love to address a little bit of that as well. Definitely. And then I was really fortunate that I screened for and got accepted to a Naval special warfare assignment as a brand new ET2. Oh, wow. Uh, and I spent five years at my first Naval Special Warfare unit. Uh, I came off the came off the ball, uh, went to recruiting, which if you've never done that, is kind of arguable how much you really come off the throttle there. I've uh, associated and, with it enough to know what you're talking about. Yeah, the fleet recruiters, especially, it seems like just never, ever, ever stop burning the candle at both ends. No, it was killer. And there's yeah. there's some stories there, too. But. Uh, I ended up after a few, after about six, seven months on the bag as a recruiter, uh, a buddy of mine came and he was the Naval Special Warfare Coordinator for my region, which was a recruiting district that had five states in it. Uh, and he pulled out the CR, which is like the ops master chief with recru- mm. in recruiting right. to have me go and be the Naval Special Warfare Scout. And so I was oh, the nice. Special Warfare and Special Operations Scout for the remainder yeah. of my tour. Uh, and I had two states as my AOR, so quite a lot of traveling, yeah, driving, but right. a much more rewarding job than the straight stick recruiter gig was. And then after that, I uh, I went back to naval, spe- uh, naval another naval special warfare assignment. This time, a little more senior and seasoned. Uh, you know, spent you know came there on four year orders. Uh, after three years, that unit was shuttered, and then I PCS to another naval special warfare unit to finish out my sea tour. And I'm getting ready to go to what will likely be my final tour as a staff uh, staff member on another Naval Special Warfare unit. Okay. So, yeah. you know, 16 years in, I've spent 11 of them in Naval Special Warfare uh, related assignments functionally. Oh, yeah. Can you go um, into exactly what I'm mean, not exactly, but like kind of generally what you got what you were doing? Absolutely. So I came in as a communicator. Uh, the old NEC was 9613. It's now 794 Alpha. Okay. Um, but what it translates to is Naval Special Warfare Tactical Communicator. Okay. And it's a really broad assignment. If you look it up in the NEC manual, you know, you can see that it's, you know, it, it, they leave it very vague. It basically says employing shipboard and non-shipboard communications equipment, networked and non-networked. It's an E3 to E9 IT and ET NEC. Um, so, you know, it it doesn't give a lot of data. It's not like if you were to look at, say like a a tack and tech where it specifies, you're going to work on this system. And that's because ETs and ITs and Naval Special Warfare, uh, they work in a, you know, basically they do the same kinds of assignments regardless of what their rate is. And so you're expected as an ET to go and get your security plus certification and be an admin on the network and do IT things. Yeah. And do IT things. And then ITs, they're expected to learn how to solder and they're expected to learn how to sit there and do a lot of kind of more complex RF skills. Um, and a communicator is a communicator is a communicator, uh, for most of our assignments. Okay. Um, and so my first, my first unit, you know, I was a, a junior guy, you know, you'll, you hear the term new guy tossed around a lot yeah, yeah. and has a really specific meaning, which is a guy who has not completed at a minimum of workup. And often, you know, kind of older school guys, you're not a new guy until you've completed your first deployment right. and really old school guys. You're not a new, you're not a, done being a new guy until you've completed your first combat deployment. So, okay. you know, if you go so on a deployment, like, 
like a non-qual or a nub, right? Like yeah, the same same like the the analog in the submarine force would be. I mean, except that kinda. I will say that we never I've never treated a new guy as bad as I was treated as a nub. And oh wow! Okay, I'm I'm an I'm an old school I'm an older yeah. school dude. Yeah, uh, I got my fish in two thousand and. Two two thousand yeah, yeah two thousand three. So yeah, it was a different world. I, I completely you know, understand what you're saying. Yeah, and and I mean, like, I really actually have some stuff I want to talk about there in terms of. I think there's a lot of parallels in terms of the the mission set and the the nature of its importance. You know, you as a special projects guy, you understand. Yeah. You know, kind of where we're going with that, uh, without violating anybody's NDA, and the mindset that you run into there. Yeah. But going back to it. Uh, you know, my first unit, uh, I was assigned as a detachment level communicator and that meant it was me and an engine man and 11 operators. And when we would go out on deployment, you know, your, you went out to the site, your detachment has their level of comfort determines your level of integration with the detachment. I knew dudes who their level of comfort and their, you know, operational function was such that they drove the trucks and they wrenched on the boats. And, you know, the guys never really got close to them. They were very much, you know, addressed by their rank or by their last name only. They were never, you know, never on a first name basis. They weren't invited to debt parties. Right. Uh, I was a little more fortunate. I integrated really well with both of my detachments that I had as a full, full run detachment, as well as my couple little mini debts that I did as well. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, I got to get underway if I wanted to. I was expected to troubleshoot still, but it's, it's a really interesting assignment because you're it, you know, once you get yeah. out on a deployment site, you know, my first deployment, we had a chunk of deployment where we were, you know, 400 nautical miles away from the nearest other American in a uniform. Right. And, you know, it's, it's us, it's us, it's you and your, your 10 guys. And, you know, none of them know how to sit there and troubleshoot anything with a wire running out of it. You know, the engine man, basically very smart, very confident dude as well. But like, once it comes off of the battery terminal, it's, you know, magic wire dust so far as he's concerned. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, nowadays with connectivity being what it is, you can reach back. But if your fundamentals aren't there, you can't succeed. Right. Um, then, you know, my next assignment is the scout. Um, you know, my primary role is to sit there and conduct PSTs, do suitability interviews. And then we do a computerized psychological test mm-hmm. uh, called the C-sort that deter that anybody who's going up for seal swick eod diver or air rescue swimmer has to take okay. and that their pst scores their asvab scores a little bit of stuff in their background like basically if their you know immediate family is, is a person in the program that they're trying to enter um their college degree if they have one or not stuff like that and their c sort all those things get put into an algorithm and you know, your analog for you guys out there is going to be a final multiple score. The way that works in terms of making your math for your, whether or not you advance, it's a right. very similar kind of multi-weighted process. Gotcha. And that score goes into a draft and, you know, the best 20 dudes in a given month, uh, those are going to be the dudes that are going to get SWIC contracts. Right, right. And, and are they still like the, uh, the EOD chief I talked to, they're like called challenge contracts. Is that still what it is? Warrior challenge program is the official okay. term. Uh, right. I mean, you know, it's, but I mean, you, it's, it's very function. It's functionally identical to any other ratings contract, right? Okay. You know, you, your, your a school, it's just that your a school is buds or your yeah, a school yeah. is BCT or your a school is EOD. Gotcha. Um, and then, you know, the pipeline for them from there, you know, uh, seals and Swix kind of have a very parallel pipeline where they'll 
go to the 800 division. They go to Buds slash BCT prep in Great Lakes. And then once they pass out a prep, which has the same standard for both rates, they go out to do orientation, uh, with it, which is done as a unified class. Or it's gone back and forth, but right now it's a unified class where SWIX and SEAL candidates both do orientation together. Okay. And then once they complete that, they'll class up into their BCT or BUDS class and everything else out there is as available as open source as it needs to be. Right. So I'm not going to go too yeah, deep yeah. into that. For EOD and Diver, uh, they do their, They also go to a prep course, which is – that's actually their primary downselect area is that EOD Diver prep course. Over 50% of their downselect happens there at Great Lakes. Okay. Um, you know, basically getting uncomfortable or getting comfortable yeah. being uncomfortable in the water. Right. And then they'll go down to Panama City. Uh, divers will go through, you know, the whole hard hat diver course. EODs will go through the first chunk of it. And then like EODC said, they split off and they go to EOD school. Right. They, that's a joint, a mixed joint Navy school. And then they go off and do underwater phase and they go out and yeah. he covered that really well. Air rescue swimmers, they graduate from boot camp and they go straight down to NAX down in, uh, or rescue swimmer school rather yeah, down yeah. in, uh, down in Pensacola. And then once they complete that, they go to NAX and they go through AWA school and then they go to the RAG and get fully qualified AW before they go to their first squadron. Mm -hmm. And then once they're qualified air crewman, qualified AW, they go for, they go forth and they, they do the rescue swimmer thing. Yeah. Um, my second assignment, I was a, an instructor. Uh, that was my, kind of my, my primary billet. It was a C billet, you know, I was deployable, but the unit had a really specific role and, you know, my job was to get folks who had not had a lot of access to, you know, personal communications equipment before smart and personal communications equipment. Mm -hmm. uh, and I did that for a good chunk of it. I also went to Iraq during that tour, uh, okay. which that was, you know, like there's no, there's no cool story there. Uh, you know, I went to Iraq, uh, I deployed deployment is deployment, whether you're in a special operations unit or not. Uh, 90% of what you're doing is, is going to be very parallel in terms of the mission is the, the primary focus and you're going to have days and moments where everything gets really crazy, really fast. And, right. but mostly you're getting out of your rack, going to work, taking care yep. of things. <laughs> the biggest difference being that, you know, I smelled burning trash and you smelled aiming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then okay. this okay. occasionally a dryer on fire, but that's yep. <laughs> Coming home from that deployment, you know, my unit had been disbanded basically while I was gone. Okay. So I came home and checked into functionally a dead UIC uh, and settled up, transferred over to my new unit where I was, I was kind of a hand select because the CMC over there knew me. And so he pulled me in and I've been there for the last year and I've got about two months and then I'm PCSing to the East Coast for the first time. It's going to be another Naval Special Warfare unit. This unit that I'm at... I worked in ops and, you know, I've worked in the admin department. 14 months is just too short of a time frame for us for our deployment cycles. Yeah. Uh, I, I know EODC talked about it, but the way the deployment cycle works in NSW, unless you're doing like an augment to either another unit or a task force function, um, you spend six months in pro dev phase, which is professional development. It's mostly mm -hmm. individually focused, right? So that's when you go off to your schools. So, you know, right. if you need to go off to do a networking school or, you know, for the guys that go to do, go to jump to, for them to go to jump school or do you need to go out and get qualified CFL, whatever the stuff that's going to make you specifically better, not in the context of your, your organization. 
that's when you go. And then towards the end, you kind of form up your detachment, platoon or troop, and you start doing some integrated training, just getting everybody felt up. Then you do six months of unit level training. Uh, ULT is mostly run by the actual H4, you know, the numbered SEAL team uh, unit or this boat team or whatever other organization. Um, and it's done in a walk, crawl, run, run way where, you know, all your fundamental skills like land navigation or small arms or tactical communication, you know, which is the, the communicator's chance to shine navigation on the water for boat guys, uh, you know, underwater work for team guys, uh, you know, which is real boring for their techs because they basically just sit in a talk. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, they go out and get into heavy webs, more integration, more ground movement, starting to get air assets on, EOD rolls in. And then at the conclusion, you do a final battle problem. And that final battle problem, you know, the closest parallel would be like if you were to take Orson Tree and put them together for two weeks in the desert. Ugh. Right. <laughs> and, you know, the whole SEAL team will sit there. Final battle problem, like I said, Orson Tree in the desert. Uh, and, you know, conducted across multiple states, multiple areas with like every element of naval special warfare uh, in terms of the actual, you know, things that we do integrated together. And so communicators could be out in the field with their platoons. They could be in a jock with a troop. They could be, you know, back at the garrison sitting there and dealing with garrison network issues because all of that stuff plays a role in the larger function of the, the special operations task force. Yeah. And then. The final phase, you know, the six month, the four to six months leading into deployment is what's, you know, used to be called SIT, which is squadron integration training. Now it's called TGIT, which is task group integration training. And basically that's the whole organization comes together, um, you know, the air assets, EOD, boats, SEALs, techs of every flavor, and gets ready to deploy under the command of that SEAL team's commander because he's the, the overall person in command. So you could think of that. If you want to parallel it to like a, a carrier, that would be like the whole carrier strike group going out and steaming as a group for the first time. Right. Right. And then you go out on deployment and that's where things get really interesting because you've done a lot of training to integrate as a, as a unit. But, you know, uh, without getting into specifics, uh, you know, naval special warfare, you know, when you deploy or when organizations currently deploy, they basically will deploy across an entire hemisphere. Right. And everywhere in that hemisphere, they'll go. And as such, you know, we have to sit there and have command split out and delineated and focused as appropriate where it needs to be. Yeah. And yeah, so that's that's kind of a rundown of how Naval Special Warfare works. Uh, you know, I know I got pretty granular on that, but I want yeah, I do no, really want to uh, I want to talk a little bit about to anybody that's considering coming here because I deal a lot with that right now in my current right. role in my unit. Okay. Um, if you have failed any PRTs in the last three years, it says it in the 1306, don't waste your applications coming here. Right. Like, and it's not that we don't want you. It's not, we don't see potential in you. It's that if, if I look at my application queue and I have 36 applications, it's a really easy down select for me to sit there and go, this dude failed his PRT two and a half years ago. Right. Uh, you know, we do have a very physical job. Even the guys in the jock are expected to be able to put out. You're going to do a PRT and BCA on check-in if you come here. So if you're not physically prepared for that part of the job, like you're not going to succeed yeah. and save yourself the heartache of coming here and getting fired. Right. Because we do it every year. Right. Um, um, 
for the sorry, I just no, go ahead. I don't want to distract you from your line of thinking, but I, I'm curious. So like as you you ran through all the assignments and and kind of like the you're you went from place to place. But like, how does the job progression work for you guys as far as like professional development leading to advancement? Like what are the things that you do as you progress through through rank and station? And then how do you like? So how do you get to the point where you're making chief or doing whatever else? Like what's the progression like? So there's a couple of things actually really worth addressing in that. So first off, you know, I mean, I'm an ET. Like if you were to look for me in a, in a, you know, a, one of the rating charts, like in terms of where my advancement exam percentage breaks out, technically I'm an ETSW. Right. right. But so I've like never a seen surface a surface. ET. Yeah. yeah. Never right. seen a surface. Okay. Ship. And so one of the big things with that is I'm competing against dudes who are on USSs. Right. And they have a really kind of very specific career progression. And ours is, is the book definition of a non-typical career path. Right. You know, if you come here as a 16-year first class, you're doing new guy stuff, right? Yeah. Like we might try to accelerate you to get you to a place where you're, you know, leading trips. And we might have the expectation that – you know, we can send you out to a, to a, to a job when you're going to be able to supervise guys because the fundamentals of leadership apply right. anywhere, not just, you know, it's, it doesn't depend on whether you're on a floaty gray thing that's big or little or not at all. Right. Is there um, a lot of skill translation for guys like that? It's, it depends. You know, ITs have it a little bit easier because fundamentally the nature right, of communications computers. is computer-based these days. Yeah. Um, ETs, it's a lot harder because unless you were riverines or CBs prior to coming here, you've never seen 95% of our gear. Gotcha. You know, we don't have a whiskey three. We have a PRC one fifty or one sixty, Right. And unless you're in a unit that already has an expeditionary mission, you're never going to have seen that. And there's a lot of other stuff that's soft specific that you won't see in regardless of what you've done before, but there are parallels on the general purpose force. So a typical employment you know, your first deployment, you're going to be, uh, if you're in really good shape and you come to a tactical communications team or tactical communications command, you're going to be in it. You know, we might try to send you off to ACS, um, which that is a specific skill that's going to prepare you to operate at a, uh, at a very integrated level, right? If you are not coming in here, you know, ready to crush a PST because that's, that's the entry standard for that school. Mm -hmm. Uh, then you're going to sit there and you're going to, we're going to get you, you know, first four or five months is just going to be all about getting you to schools because you're going to have to go to SEER. You're going to have to go and get qualified on all of our specific equipment. We have a, a C school basically, uh, that we can, that you go to that's integral to Naval Special Warfare. Um, you got to go to SEER and that's, Mm -hmm. that can be a real stopper for some folks, right? Right. uh, because it's, it's not a fun experience just (laughs) putting it out there. Um, and then, you know, once you're complete on all that and you've got your passport and you've got your GTC and we have a high level of comfort that you're going to be able to succeed as a communicator, then you roll into a troop. And if you come here as like an ET3 or an ET2, you know, you're going to have that, you know, if you went to ACS, then you're going to have a very integrated role that's going to be specific, focused specifically within your troop, as in the, the SEAL troop, not the communications troop. Right. Um, if you're not that, then you're going to be, you know, kind of doing regular tech stuff, you know, like regular ETIT stuff within your troop, uh, you know, erecting jocks and you're going to be a worker bee, right? Mm-hmm. We don't get a whole lot of first tour guys. We're not supposed to get any. But, 
right. we that's a that's an ongoing fight we've been having with purse yeah. um and then you know your next tour you know you will get bumped up to going and be in the being in a leadership position you might be a lead a site lead or if you're really good you'll be an lpo okay and then once you complete that that second deployment right then it's time for you to pcs uh, we can only, we only get dudes for at most, the most would typically get somebody for is like 60 is 60 months. And that's really exceptional for us to get somebody that long. Okay. Um, and we try really hard not to do that because that's a really long time to be at the unit. And if they come here as like a second and make first, that's also going to affect everyone else's rankings and advancements and everything. Right. So we typically get like, we're getting folks around 54 months right now is, okay. is coming out to be about ideal because it gives them adequate time to train, do two deployments and then sit there and have a little bit of spin down time, uh, to get ready to PCS. Mm-hmm. So you move up to that LPO seat, we send you off, you go to, you go to shore duty. Uh, if you make chief, you know, we, we, we don't have a whole lot of dudes who come back, uh, wearing anchors, um, mm-hmm. purse tends to not like to sit there and accommodate us a whole lot on giving us retreads that they're getting better about it. But NSW for better or worse is seen as being good deal C duty, yeah, um, yeah. which it can be hard for me to stomach that sometimes um, right. because, you know, if I'm getting compared to a dude who's on the blue Ridge and, you know, he pulled into Thailand six times last year <laughs> and I spent six months, you know, right. breathing, burning dirt in Iraq and I have the good deal. That, that kind of makes me scratch my head. Yeah. Some, but I'm curious too, like I, and I'm really, I'm trying to sit no, no. during this shore duty to understand better from that perspective. But mm-hmm. like for guys like you, so you're in a competitive group with guys, mm-hmm. uh, mostly on in girls, USS, whatever. Right. So how does, because it's it clearly delineated in the precepts and the convening letter that non you shouldn't be penalized for a non-traditional career path, but, like on you guys' end of it, I'm sure you probably see it dip, like in reality, right? Where like, how is it actually happening in real life? Because I can't imagine that you guys have representation at the board a lot, right? We Unless, do actually. We, we do, okay. I was going to say, how does that work? And do you guys think it's working? So I, so it, it's the opinions on that are really mixed, you know, right. um, the guys who are at the, you know, who are at the development group and other units at that level, they have a right. really high promotion rate. But that's true of every rate because it's, that's, yeah, you know, that the, they, they've got because of where they're at. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, it's. I think I, I I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that you know the JC and yeah. Subdevron Twelve guys probably also have a really high promotion rate, uh, based on yeah. you know what they're doing. And yeah, uh, when you get out to the more vanilla units. The rate is a little bit higher than the fleets typically, uh, but what you'll see is dudes will do it for a very long time, and a lot of times they basic you'll do you'll have guys that you know uh, they're they're chasing anchors, and so they'll go out and they'll go and they'll go to some other unit or to a shore duty where they'll check all the blocks, right? Uh-huh. So they'll you know have a buddy, and he's a really great dude, and you know I, I'm not trying to trash him at all, right. but you know you could see he left my first unit that I was at. And he went to a three-star staff and he was the C- the CFL. He was the FCPOA president. He was right. heavily involved with MWR, like everything, right? He was big into CPO 365 back when that yeah. was a thing. And, you know, number one EP, he picked up and I'm yeah. really happy for him. Right. Um, dudes like me, uh, you know, who we, we tend to say, you know, I, I've, I've been fortunate in some ways 
that I've stayed in Naval Special Warfare. I haven't necessarily sought it. Like I wasn't trying to stay in NSW continuously for 16 years, but the detail, you know, detailers have been changing their mindset on it where they basically go, this is a skill like any other. And we wouldn't reassign a dude who was a small boy, you know, monster and had every small boy NEC and send him to a big deck just because. I, so why would we do that with an NSW sailor? I feel like they kind of do, though, and I don't know. I'm not a surface sailor, but I know a lot, and they do the same thing, and it's almost like they want them to have that diversity, et cetera. And I, I, in my head, it it blows my mind because like I went from an 88, so Los Angeles-class submarine, mm-hmm. to a, a Seawolf-class submarine that shall not be named, and then I went to uh, a BN, right? An Ohio class submarine. And it's like a submarine's a submarine. I get it. I, I guess they probably view it as like a ship is kind of like a kind of a ship is a ship, but I got to re you know, enough to know, like you got to relearn. It's all oh, different. Yeah. The, everything's everywhere else. It's got different power supplies, different capacities, different locations, different, everything, different, so everything. It's like, yeah. And then you and- go to different coasts too. So like you, you think about somebody like, uh, like an ET and FT, right? Sonar text, na- navigation mm-hmm. guys, right? If I'm a high level expert and have developed my skills for a long period of time on the West Coast out of like the Pacific Northwest operating mm-hmm. area, and then I go to shore duty, and then you send me to like Connecticut, yeah, like no, why? Shoot, shoot, why? Shooting the Straits of of San Juan de Fuca, you know, right. in a BN is a totally different conversation totally than different. You know, playing around under the ice uh, out of Groton, right? I totally get it. Um, and you know, I've, I'm fortunate in my job right now. I have a lot of conversations with detailers and okay. they are, they're trying to get better about it. The the demand signal of, Hey, we want stability. We want to be able to function in a career. We want to be able to grow and grow right. expertise. That's being heard both from okay. the fleet in terms of like leaders at, you know, the, the unit and higher level and by, on the part of members. Yeah. But what you hear coming back on the other end is like, well, you know, everybody wants to come to Naval Special Warfare, right? What did I right, say when I was course. talking about applications? I have 36 applications for one billet, yeah. you know, like the only <laughs> other billets you, and that's for a C billet. Like the, you know, right. typically you only see that like for the IT billets in Brussels or Portugal, you know, or, yeah. you know, some cake job in Rota. I, and, yeah, I get it, man. I, you know, cause I almost accidentally stumbled into the three MC job at SDV team one. Cause I mm-hmm. called the three MZ detailer. I'm like, I wanted to be a three MC on a submarine. Cause I'm like, I don't want to do, I already did the CSL CPO thing. I want to do something else. I got a, I got a short attention span. And I, when I called him, he's like, man, I don't have anything on a submarine, but I do have this, this SDV team. I'm like, what's that? And he explained it to me. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. You can't send me there. That's, I gotta go back to C. And he's like, well, this is going to be C duty quote unquote. I was like, Oh my God. Like, and I got yeah. excited. Like I imagine everybody does. I'm like, this would be amazing. Um, and, but co- I mean, to, to be honest, blah, blah, blah. you know, the three MC billets at like the boat teams and yeah. the SDV team, those are a little more questionable in terms of categorizing them as sea duty because you know, right. you're there I, for three or four years and you know, you might go out to sea once by accident. Right. Basically. And I figured, I figured that much. I, I was you like, know. I'm going to be in an office. Like what? The three MC. And I mean, there's a part of me that really argues that there's al- elements of that, that make it a much harder job because, you know, imagine the boat team, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, boat team might have, I don't want to go into specifics here and I'm not trying to right, play right. secret scroll games. No, but, that's fine. I get it. You know, you, you might have uh, detachments spread out in over a dozen places at a right, given time right. and they all have, you know, their own 3M program. So imagine, yeah. you know, having work center soups and LPOs that you're dealing with as a 3MC 
that are spread, you know, that all have checks and they're having to do that, you know, across three continents. Like that is, you know, regardless of the fact that you're not having to get underway and stand dive, that that's not exactly an easy watch station to be in. Right. Right. Um, or easy position to be in. But I, th- I could see the perception being, you know, hey, you know, you, especially for submariners, yeah. you know, you went, you went to sea and your sea duty was sitting in an office and handling paperwork. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, I but, just wanted to do something else too. I, I'm a, I'm oh, a, for sure. I, I wish I could have gotten to experience some more of the Navy than just the inside the skin of a submarine and then shore duty and then, oh, back, for sure. You know? you know, and I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Uh, I have days when I, I see what some of my friends in the USS world are doing and I'm really envious because some right. of it's really cool. Right. And, you know, I have a battle rhythm such that I, I have a really good idea of what I'm going to be doing and that's great for stability, but it's also, you know, like I know that at small arms week, I'm going to shoot a thousand rounds a day. Yeah. Right. And you know, that's a really exciting, your first detachment or your first it's platoon when you go out and, and you, boring later. <laughs> you know, you know that like over the course of the workup, you know, you have this really cool realization, you do the math and you're like, I'm going to shoot 150,000 rounds over yeah. the course of the next six months. Man, that's like, I'm such a right. badass. I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to kill it. <laughs> and then your third role, you're like, I don't want to clean my gun anymore. Like, uh, I, yeah. Can, you- <laughs> can, can I it's duck like- out of this trip? I just, yeah. uh, is, there, there's a school I want to go to. It's like you know, explaining submarining to my like people that don't do it. They're like, oh, that's so cool. And you're like thinking about it like down Periscope. Like, oh, like yeah, it's just no. like a joke to you. It's just this normal thing. And it's yeah. not, like, trust me, it's not like it's not Hunt for Red October every day. Like it's you know, 99% down Periscope. And I mean, I'm fortunate that like my job, I think, has unbalanced more cool moments to it than a lot of folks jobs do. Right. right? right. You know that, you know, I mean there's not a lot of ETs out there who in 16 year career, they've gotten to shoot everything from a nine mil up to an 84 millimeter rocket launcher and, you know, gotten to shoot all the machine guns that you could ever want and get bored of shooting machine guns. Right. Right, Like that's talk about your first world problems for a lot of these, you know, young (laughs) gung ho guys. Like I don't want to shoot two forties anymore. Why? I don't want to clean them anymore. Well, (laughs) You know, yeah. meanwhile, I just want to shoot a 240 once. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, I really love that aspect of my job and it's, that's been fantastic. And, yeah. you know, as I've grown the big kind of, you know, we were talking, going back to what we were originally talking about with career progression, you know, you go to that LPO seat, you might come, if you're lucky enough, you'll come back, you slot in, you do a chief ride, you know, and we, we, we ask for a 48 hour, a 48 month tour from the detailers for everybody. So for me, you know, as a retread, even though I didn't have that same training requirement because I didn't have to go to all those schools again, right. uh, I still had a 48 month tour requirement. And gotcha. Okay. So you know, th- you you get there and you you might you know typically what I've seen for chiefs that come back, they come back, they do one ride as as a troop chief, and then that's really the end of their operational time that they're going to have in the community. At that point, yeah. they're going to go on and they're going to be. You know, they're going to be the ops. They're going to be the training chief. They're going to be, you know, the kind of learning, like being CMC's back pocket so that, you know, they're, if they were kind of trying to transition into that more of that leadership role, some dudes, they'll go out and they'll screen to go to a special projects assignment and, you know, they'll disappear because they can stay operational even wearing anchors there as, uh, and that's its own, its own conversation. That's a little bit 
uh, a little bit beyond the confines of what I'm comfortable talking about here. Okay. But what you, you do run into really frequently is you'll have dudes that, you know, they, they, they'll take these hard jobs on and it is a hard job being in Naval Special Warfare. We've got the good deal. You know, we have our, our little gyms, you know, we have really easy working hours in garrison compared to a lot of the Navy. My duty rotation, you know, I stay in duty once a month. Yeah. That's it. You know, that's, that's a shore duty, if not better duty rotation. Right. right. And it's better than mine. And I'm a senior chief, <laughs> you know, and like, I, I, I get that. And, you know, I understand it. My duty is a joke, man. I bring a cell phone home. Don't, don't feel bad for me. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, that's the same. I mean, it's the same thing for me. Like, uh, okay. you know, I show up, I break open the building at, at six thirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. you know, and then Very I similar. walk around with a, a CDO badge all day yep. long. Exact same and, thing. <laughs> And then, you know, I take a cell phone home with a logbook and an emergency action plan. And if the yeah. alarm goes off, I get a phone call and right, that's right. it. And that's pretty much the exact description of the CDO job that I do. So, yeah, it's just like twice know, a month. Yeah. Of course, you know, on the back end of it, like when I went out on deployment, you know, it was, you know, my, my duty was set or my watch station was 12 hours on 12 hours off seven yeah. days a week for six months. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's got its own weight to it. Um, you know, so I think that the, the boards, you know, we have, we have people from the development group and we have folks who are from the East coast in particular that are really good about coming out there and they're representing what we call, would call, you know, we're, we're called techs, any non-operator rate in, uh, in Naval special warfare is called a tech technically, you know, we're supposed to be called enablers now that's so common preferred language, but we've been called techs for probably 50 years now at this point. So I don't see it changing. And that's whether you're a yeoman, you know, or a PS or an OS or an ET or an engine man or a PR. So just NSW support guys are called enablers, but techs. Well, yeah, yeah. Officially you're informally techs. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you might, you might sit there and like have some delineation as sort of your level of tech, right? Whether you're a direct support guy or a combat support guy or combat service support guy or gal. And yeah. insert gal behind all those as well, uh, because right, we right. have females operating at every level. Yeah. Um, but it's it's entirely dependent on both your level of comfort and competence where you'd end up, and also on your rate, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we don't need a combat yeoman. It's just reality. Uh, you know, and so, but you know, ETs, ITs, CBs, engine men, yep. some of the <sighs> other uh, rates. I wish you needed you know. combat cooks, man. I was <laughs> back in the day when I was a young first class, I was looking at like riverines when they first got stood up and I'm like, come on, come on, come on. And they don't need cooks. No, nope. <laughs> it's like, damn it. I just wanted to do something different and cool. And yeah, you know, and, <laughs> and like, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be really frank. I, I love, and I'm really passionate about Naval special warfare, but yeah. one of the, the things that's a really difficult thing for guys to internalize is you're in it, but not of it. Right. right At the right. end of the day, like we have our own distinct culture as techs separate from the operator's culture, but the operators are always going to drive the cultural bus. Right. Right. And this is a conversation that I've had on Reddit a couple of times, but you know, one of the biggest things that chiefs in particular don't understand about frogmen mm-hmm. is that frogmen identify more strongly as frogmen than they do as chiefs. Yeah. You know, like I always wanted to ask that question, but I don't know any seals. So if any of them are listening, hit me up. But I yeah, kind of questions about the culture, because I think the way that they at least I perceive them to be and correct me if I'm wrong to the way that they do things in the unit, which EODC was kind of alluding to 
where uh, it's like a first name thing and it's a little more ambiguous with the rank and stuff like mm-hmm. the, the, the structure still there, but it's a lot more informal and a lot more understood that this like who's in charge, but it's, it's we're looser gonna, and, and we're going to talk to, about that. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. No, like, like, and let's, we can dive into it right now because I think that okay, it, it's good. a good lead into a lot of the other yeah. stuff I want to talk about. Cause I, I'm, I'm real curious about the leadership lessons that can be pulled from that, that can be applied to, a lot of the stuff I've been talking about a ton lately with the, the chiefs mess and junior sailors oh, and breaking yes. down some of those walls. So awesome. So, uh, in Naval special warfare, you know, we're, we're kind of going through a reset right now, uh, and have been for the right. last few months because of the, the bad publicity we got after Gallagher and yeah, Melgar the, and some I of the saw other the stuff. article where the, the boss put the like back to basic stuff out. I mean, I don't want to express an opinion on that um, yeah. just because I, I have put a lot of identifying information out about myself in this discussion. Right, I guarantee right. you any, but almost anybody in West coast NSW knows who I am okay. at this point. Uh, but <laughs> I will say that, you know uh, I mean, I'll put it to you. I'll put it to you really frankly. Uh, you know, one of the orders that we got was that we were to stop wearing unofficial Warcom approved logos, mm-hmm. you know, so like basically like no, no unit, or no unit patches that were below the team level. And then the team level ones had to be approved by Naval Special Warfare Command Actual. Okay. So some of those insignias and patches, they date back to World War II. Like right. my, you know, my ops at my command, his his patch from his platoon that he had before us, you know, it literally is a design that a UDT did yeah. before going ashore at Iwo Jima. Wow. So do you really think that that patch is going to disappear on right. anyone's orders. No. I mean, it could be the CNO and it wouldn't not even away. a little. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. and so this, this actually leads into kind of a big leadership thing for me, which is, you know, I strongly believe that if you know, and the Admiral, I think had to know uh, that that order was not going to be obeyed. Right. Uh, you shouldn't give it, even if you're doing yeah. it just to please your boss like at the end of the day, yeah. you know, and, and I know what he was getting at because there's some, there's some platoon insignias and patches and flags out there that they're gnarly. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like a, I believe it. a, a skull with a hatchet in it and the platoon and, you know, like, yeah. uh, or like an Indian skull or, you know, a trident with an insurgent's head on it. Right. right. You know, like some really like things that you look at and they're, they're not only, they'd be in questionable taste anywhere, but right. particularly as something that you're throwing on your armor and then, you know, you're, you're putting on the cloth of the nation and saying, Hey, you know, I am the best this nation has to offer. And the best this nation has to, has to offer is a dude with his knife through his head or with a knife right. through his head. Right. Like I got that, you know, heard, but in the way I, you also look at it is like some of these, this, these insignia, they're historic. Right. And so, you know, in spite of the fact that we currently have an order saying, Hey, cease wearing of this. When I went to work this morning, you know, I watched three dudes run by me PTing with another unit that's on the base I work on shirt that is definitely not the Naval Special Warfare approved logo for that unit. So right. these dudes are out PTing on base during Friday PT, which is like the one time everyone in Naval Special Warfare is doing the same thing at the same time. And they're wearing a unit, a unit T-shirt, which has been told by an admiral don't wear this anymore right and and i so i i agree with you in that like i feel like and i don't know what it's like to be in the nosebleed section right where you're mm-hmm. that high in the leadership structure that there's got to be just insane amounts of pressure on them to and i mean do especially certain things but yeah and especially please certain in people. the 
Oh yeah. I mean, especially, you know, some of the stuff that's come out in terms of how much pressure the CNO and the SECNAV were putting yeah. on him to, right. to fix the problem. To fix it. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we also sit there and, and look at it on the back end and you're dealing with, you know, an organization of 10,000 people basically once yeah. you include civilians and contractors. Yeah. And the, 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 you know, operators and I love my operators, but they have yeah. been indulged for the, for the last few years. Right. To it's a not really going to happen overnight. Deep yeah. degree. You're, you're not going to see that cultural change. Some of it is in the ever category. It's you're just, you yeah. know, like, like, you know, what, what might've been more successful, I think. And, you know, of course I'm sitting there as an E6 saying, Hey, Admiral, <laughs> this is what you should have done. But that feedback's go, super valuable. So, yeah. You know, uh, like sit there and reach down and say, Hey, you know, we need to fix this. Right. You know, the, the Australian military, their special operations organizations had the same problem where they had a lot of like, you know, Spartan shields and Punisher skulls and yeah. grim reapers for their logos. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they said, we're not going to do this anymore. Uh, you know, pick a different logo, but they didn't sit there and say, we're only going to do approved logos. Right. And so you could have done the, something like that, or it could have been something along the lines of, Hey, we're going to sit there and we want to screen all the logos. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. um, I think that like, that's an example of this, like, and it's like uh, completely culture wide, not even like mm -hmm. just inside the military, this like death of nuance where it's like, we don't have converse, like nuanced leadership conversations about like, okay, so we have this thing and it's perceived to be a problem by someone that has the juice to dictate Mm -hmm. terms, but like how can we solve this problem while still preserving the heritage that is so important, but not look like fools to everyone that sees us from the outside looking in like that type of a conversation can and should happen if it didn't. And that's a real concern for me because I think that the chief's mess is at risk of having that thing happen to them. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I'm talking about it so much. Cause that's what, yeah, like there's a lot, there was a lot of conversations when, CPO 365 was first stood up because I went mm-hmm. through the season in 2011, which was the last year it was prior to Mick Pond Stevens, like CPO 365 phase one first year. Right. So it was like before that, like what was perceived to be a knee jerk reaction to a lot of the problems we were having where people kept getting in trouble and it kept getting shut down, which it still happens. But I mean, um, and, and I, and again, let's, the, we're hitting on stuff we want to talk about. I know we're, we're, uh, I, okay, keep sitting there and saying, I, I get on tangents. Stuff. <laughs> so oh no, I'm totally, keep, I'm keep totally right good with path. this. Yeah. Keep me but on the right path. Let, let's get back to where we were before, which is talking about culture with an NSW. Okay. So this is actually something that we address a lot at my unit because my unit is fundamentally a tech oriented unit. Like our chain of command, basically the entire unit is minus a couple people. They're all techs. Okay. Uh, and so we have some, some folks, you know, we, we like, you'll, you'll hear the phrase tossed around at the, at the unit sometimes we call them fleet chiefs, right? Okay. They're chiefs that came to the unit as a chief or as a first who then proceeded to make chief on very little experience on board the unit. Okay. And all of their leadership and all of their style and everything they have was developed in big Navy. And they, you know, I mean, you know, the, the, the comparison I would make to it for a submariner is imagine if you had a CS1 SW show up or a CS, CSC SW show up. And now he's your chief. He doesn't yeah. even have his fish yet. And yeah. he's, and he's wanting to set the culture and his culture is totally divergent from the culture you've worked with yeah. for multiple years. And, you know, he's, you know, one of the big things in NSW is we do tend to run on a first name basis. Right. You know, I mean, my CMC 
has a tendency to sit there and call folks that he knows and likes well, regardless of rank, by their first name. Right. My opso, who's a frogman, is a first name basis guy. Um, and how how does it? I, and I'm sure you're getting to it, but like, how does that? How does it work for you? Do you think it's positive? Like, how does it affect the culture? I mean, it you need to have buy-in into whatever the culture is from, you know, right. and, that, and, and that's the big thing. Like, I think that the problem that the chiefs that I have that I'm talking about here have mm-hmm. is there are these dudes that they're coming around and they might be out of BCA standards or like maybe a little <laughs> questionable, right? Uh, and they're they have no technical or tactical proficiency. They don't have an EXW pin. Yeah. They don't have, you know, they, they have a lot of Navy knowledge and they might yeah. be really technically sound in terms of like ET or IT specific stuff. Right. But they don't know anything about Naval Special Warfare specific stuff. Right. And they're sitting there and they're correcting a dude for calling a first class for calling another first class by his, by the first name. Right. And then the same dude is calling the CMC by his first name in front of, you know, the admin desk. Yeah. And that that's that's where the hypocrisy sets in and that's where the lack yeah. of respect comes in. Right. You know, I have I have a chief that I deal with on a pretty regular basis who his sailors will come into my office and they'll close the door to gripe with me about how this dude is. And is this you one know, of those fleet chief guys that you're talking about? He, he absolutely is. Okay. Right. And so, you know, the, the, the first name basis thing, that's really a minor thing. It's, it's more about trust and trust and competency are, are huge things. You know, you need, before you can sit there and come in and roll in as a chief Right. And dictate, you know, and start start dropping the dictations of this is how we're going to be, and this is what's going to happen, and this is what we're going to do. You need to establish competency with your people. Right? Yeah, it's incredible to me that those guys think that that's because I'm like a stand around for a minute and get the lay of the land and assess what's going on around me, guy. Because I put my foot in my mouth way too many times in situations like that, right where. I walk into an organization or a group or a division or a work center and I, and I start like changing things or correcting people or doing what I'm making calls when I'm in a position and I don't fully understand the situation I'm in yet, or I haven't taken the time to analyze the problem as fully as I should. And then someone comes around after I make a dumb decision and tells me how dumb it is. And then I, I quickly have the realization why it's dumb and how I shouldn't have done that. And so I, I've gotten to this point where, Anytime I show up to a new place, it's like pause, ask a lot of questions, get the lay of the land, assess, digest, and make sure I I fully understand. And plus, there's that stuff that you're describing where it's like you got to there's a credibility thing like you have to demonstrate that you are an expert. You have to like just because I walk in the door, the anchor is like, yes, I have some legitimate authority. Got it. Oh, absolutely. There's some stuff in the UCMJ, but I still have to earn the respect of my division to get all those other versions of I mean, so that they listen to and respect and have trust and faith in me. Yeah. And I mean, that's the big thing. I talk about this a lot. And like yeah. there, there are people who have uh, in my life who have gotten a little a little tired of hearing me talk about <laughs> how I feel about chiefs, yeah. um, you know, because for me, when I was, you know, when I was young in the Navy, like chiefs were, and I'm not going to say chiefs were gods in the sense of being like, you know, these terrifying beings, right. You know, right. we're not talking Greek gods, like chiefs were these exemplars to me. I looked at a chief and the, the kind of stuff that, you know, when you look at the chief's creed and I hate that phrase because I think, I think it's kind of, I think the creed doesn't necessarily have some of the lessons, at least from my exterior perspective that, you know, you might be looking for, but you look at the chief's creed and you look at what we talk about when we talk about a chief petty officer, 
and you see these, you know, you, you like, like I, I remember looking at every chief and going like, that is the walking exemplar of what I want to be as a sailor, right? This dude, he's smart, he's competent, you know, right, he knows, right. he knows all these, he has all these great stories. He's done all these cool things, you know, and I was fortunate that one of my chiefs I could pull, uh, had that experience with, he had gone, he had been on the parchy and then he came yeah. to go teach <laughs> nuke school. Right. right. So, you know, Ooh, and he I was, I wonder if I know him. Uh, we'll, I don't we'll remember talk his offline. name. We'll talk yeah. offline. <laughs> I, I don't remember his name at this point. And this is also gotcha. like, he was a, he was a, a fresh anchor in 2004. So okay. could go either way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. But you know, he was li- like, and so that was my exemplar. And then, you know, as I've grown, I mean, I, I, this is a total tangent, but you know, I got two chiefs taken to mass when I was on my recruiting ride. Uh, one of, one of them was my chief. Right. And this is the story that's really going to identify me. And, uh, you know, we, we may talk about whether it needs to get dropped. Yeah, I was going to say, man, as we go but, through this, it, I'm going to give you the file so that you can re-listen to it, too. And yeah. Send me, hey, take this out. Hey, take this out. Because I if, if you have any concern about uh, I mean, repercussions, I will 100 percent edit it. I'm not in a hurry to release like, this. Right? Look, I'm a I'm a 16 yeah. year first man. Like, <laughs> you know, I the, the, the I'm not going to sit there and say I'm immune from repercussions because I'm definitely not like everybody's right. I, everybody yeah. got something that can hit them. But at this point, you know, I have accepted that there's a pretty good chance that I am not putting on a set of anchors yeah. uh, based on my career path and based on my choices I've made. Okay. Like I've never been to mast or anything like that. Uh, you know, I've right. never gotten a DUI, never done anything, you know, never had anything real adverse, but I also, you know, I mean, what, going back to our conversation a while ago about the board, you know, it's known that there are some salty ET master chiefs who sit the panel that they, if they see you and you don't have your ESWAS and your CSAO and you're an ET going up for the board, you automatically go to the bottom of the pile. Well, and so that's something that when I was asking that question earlier, where you said there's there's NSW guys that go there and advocate for for that exact situation. It's like, mm-hmm. how is that allowed to happen if you, if I and this is I one mean, of those you're, you're, asking ask, the, you're asking the yeah, wrong. Yeah, I know, I know. Like, I, this is yeah, and this is one of those why I'm I'm really really hoping I get selected to sit aboard this year or next or while I'm on the shore duty so that I can because I'm gonna be asking a ton of questions while I'm there to get this type of insight. Cause that's, Oh yeah. That's really concerning for me because then it's like, how are we ignoring this? And then not cause your community in and of itself, like the tech leadership that is in place is probably not the people that should at least some of the time, not be the people that are, should be putting on anchors because you guys are getting shuffled to the bottom of the pile on at least, we think at least one scenario. Right. So, I mean, I know, you know, like, and there are really, really technically competent dudes that are selecting. Right. And at the end of the day, I'm not trying to sit here and be the advocate saying, Hey, you know, Naval special warfare is the cream of the crop and we should, we should take every slot, right? You know, no, there's yeah, I get like it. 90 dudes that make chief and, you know, or make chief as ETs, you know, every year. And if every single NSW ET who was up for chief picked up, then like 70 of us would sit there and oh, make up yeah. the, the chief's class, right? I guess I'm, I'm, I'm s- realistic, but it's also, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I think a lot of the stuff that'll make a dude a chief in NSWs, some of it's the same stuff that'll make a chief anywhere, right? Right. You know, sustained leadership, right? You know, we have these dudes that they're, they sit a strong, they have a strong LPO tour with a troop, you know, they take a mm-hmm. troop forward, they do great things and they're involved with the command. They do the collaterals, they're, they're with the FCPOA, but then there's dudes like, I mean, 
you know, I'll give you me. Like I was the LPO for the J6 for a, a large special operations task force, you know, over 1,200 people. So I was the the, the LPO for a shop of 10, uh, including three other first classes or first class equivalents, working for a chief and reporting to a an O3 and an O4 responsible for a network of well over a thousand machines and several million dollars in property yeah, and, you know, multiple means of communication. And I was a spectrum manager and, you know, I was involved with CPO 365 out there right. and I didn't pick up this last cycle. Okay. Right. And, you know, my evals, you know, I'm not going to sit there and like, I'm not a number one EP guy, you know, I tend to yeah. kind of sit there and be around the number one MP. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, if being an LPO seat, in a you know large a large department with a large level of responsibility with a heavy duty you know technical collateral and being involved with your your rank association and sitting there and going to a combat zone and when you're in garrison also being an LPO or assistant head of assistant department head isn't enough then there's a bias at play because I know yeah. dudes who you know, I mean, obviously there's, this is going to sound like some sour grapes, but I know dudes who did less, who picked up anchors in my rate. And, and are you in, talking about specifically techs or surface specifically ETs? surface ETs? Okay. Right. I mean, I know, I know, I know other techs who have picked up and like, there's always the dude that's a little questionable, you know, maybe his eval was better. Maybe, right. you know, you, you don't know his history. Maybe he got some awards you're not aware of. Yeah. Like you, you never have full transparency into somebody else's record, but right. you know, something you talked about with, uh, with, it wasn't with EODC, uh, the dude that you had on for ask the chief, uh, yeah. it, something you talked about with him was like officers when they don't select for a position or they don't select for a promotion they get a specific phone call feedback from their detailer who will go over their record with them and say, this right. is what you don't have. And <sighs> it blows my mind that I yeah. can't get a two sentence feedback, you know, well, yeah. from, from, from the master chief, from the master chief of my panel that says, Hey, right. you know, uh, you need to go get your ESWAS. I know that you like Naval special warfare and you're crushing it there, but we need to see an ESWAS on your chest. And I think that, what that does for me is it takes away a lot of the credibility of the process, right? There, because, yeah. you know, you have this, this high level of secrecy. We know for a fact, because two master chiefs lost their screws mm -hmm. for it a couple of years ago, that it, that there has been corruption in that process in the past. Right. And so, you know, if there's been corruption in the smaller panel, the nine panel, then it's very hard for me to believe that there's not a strong possibility of some, collusion and stuff like that for the seven panel. And yeah. I hate to say that because you just heard me talking about how much I look at chiefs and I want to sit there and yeah. have an emulatable example. And, I, and again, I'm, some of this is good. Sorry, go ahead. You know, I was just going to say, you're not like, and I wonder how much of it is just my perception as a junior sailor and like, I'm a young guy and they're the authority figure and I'm impressionable. But like, I felt the same way. Like I felt like, it was different. And then, and, and now it's, it, it's diluted and not quite the same, like that, the, the integrity of it has degraded significantly. But I also like, I, it's hard to know that like, based on my perspective at the time, was I just idolizing someone that was easy to idolize? Like, I don't know. I, I definitely, 
I thought it felt different back then. And, and I've had conversations I mean, with old retired crusty chiefs that made it in like the eighties and nineties. And I, I really want to get somebody like that on this podcast, but that that said as much and you see it in like like all the chief groups and stuff these old salty guys like somebody will post like a story about something like that board misconduct and they'll you'll see all the salty old retirees that are just like well in my day this wasn't like that and this that and the other yeah, day and it's like uh so anyways kind of going back to where we were before you know the the salty chiefs and the board corruption and all that like i mean i right. i really don't want to sound like the whiny gold chevron first class he's like i didn't make it because i'm yeah. on a blacklist no, I, I understand you know but it's also i definitely last year and the year before that both i had a moment where i sat down after you know selection day came and i went man i don't know what else i can do and i mean yeah. some of it i guarantee you I know the stuff I need to do to be the number one EP. And some of it's just like, I've chosen to have a little bit more balanced life than that. I like having hair that it is not like it's in regs, but it's not the aggressively in regs. I am super squared away or shaved head sort of thing. Right. And that's when we're talking about culture, that's actually one of the big things. And I think it's part of the reason that, you know, we have those new chiefs come into NSW commands and they have a tendency to sit there and, you know, want to start chiefing, as it were. Right. And it's because they walk in and they see a dude like me in a prominent position. And I've got, you know, two and a half inches of hair on the side of my head and sideburns that are precisely at, if not a little below the regulation. Right. And I, intru- and, you know, the CMC is introducing me to them by my first name. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I got to square these guys away. They got no military yeah. bearing. Yeah. And, and I, it's and the, it's and there's he, conditioning involved that like I would have a hard time in that environment, but I also oh, would take sure. the time to learn that environment and like, yeah, and, and I think calm that's the big down thing. a little bit, you know what I mean? And I, I think, think, yeah, I think that's a huge thing is, you know, you walk into an NSW command and, you know, we're like you walk into my my command right now and I guarantee you well, the cortex closed by now. But if there was somebody on right. the cortex, they're in where they're not wearing the Navy brown T-shirt. They're wearing that dark chocolate brown T-shirt that you yeah. know, they got from the unit when they checked in. Right. It is definitely not a regulation T-shirt. Right. Yeah. And yeah. there's a good chance that they're you know, they're not going to give you a good morning chief when you come through the right. door. They'll look up and they'll acknowledge that you're there. But basically, the only people that get a full-on, you know, greeting of the day crossing the quarter deck are the the skipper, the, the XO, boss, yeah, and the CMC. Yeah. And, the, and yeah, and there's a lot of things lately, you know, that, like I've I've started to reconsider why it's important. You know what I mean? Like, and, and uh, for like sure. hands in your pockets is one of them, right? Where I'm just like, because I I started telling people, I'm like, look, man, the second they take it out of the regs, I'll shut up. But it's like then I kind of thought about it, and I'm like, they're pockets like like I, and that's I'm just like you know i've had a lot of conversations about it and i'm starting I mean, to i'm starting to one of my favorite pictures in regards to hands and pockets was it was good. two sbcs down at uh-huh. special boat team 22 yeah talking to the mcpawn with their hands in their pockets <laughs> you know yeah. and like if if they're not going to sit there and i mean admittedly this was giordano and that's its own conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know <laughs> like it's it's if, if you're not going to sit there and take your hands out of your pockets for the McPawn, right. You know, think, then why think is it even that, in the book? Like, you know, and you're a chief, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Like, so you, you got to talk about, you think about the example that they're setting and right. you know, the chiefs it's, are going to be that, that sine qua non of, yeah. of military bearing at an NSW or at any command. 
But it's also goes back to the thing you said about it. Don't give an order out that you, that you know is is not going to be followed. And it, oh, yeah. I started to question my resolve because it's like I'm positive when I t- tell any sailor to take their hands out of their pockets, unless it's somebody I know personally who I've had the conversation with, and they kind of they have enough buy in or at least enough respect to me for for me to know that. Okay, like, yeah, I get it because he wants because he wants us to. And I respect him for all the other things that he does. I'm going to honor that. That's the only way I get buy in on that. So if it's something that I'm getting to the point where it's like I if I'm a thousand percent sure that when I walk away, they're going to put their hands back and I'm going to I'm going to bleep all this out that they're going to put their hands in their pockets. Why am I why am I wasting my bandwidth on that? And why am I expending leadership capital on that? It's like but. But it's in the book and it's a standard. So it's like I get in this like I get in this pickle with myself. I mean, for me, you know, like it would be it, it, like it's, it's all it's all going to be about the, the the time and place. Right. You know, right. so as an example, you know, if we if we're in NSUs at my command for some reason, I, right. I can't think Probably of what example happened, but yeah, <laughs> you know, or, or if we're in dress. Right. Yeah. And I've got, you know, one of my new guys. Uh, and That's, they've got their yeah. hands in their pockets, right. you know, like, even though I'm known as being like the most relaxed guy about all things military bearing at right. the command, I'm going to go up to him and I say, Hey dude, come on, take your fucking hands out of your pockets. You can right. do better than this. And I think right? that's a great, that's like a great way of looking at it and a perspective that should probably be written into the book is that it's situational, right? Like if you're in your working uniform, who cares? If you I mean and like there's situation depending on who you're around and what you're doing also in a working uniform, like like you were saying, if you're standing next to the McBon, it's probably not the time. But yeah, you know, but I think like, a, hu- a huge part of our books that we deal with in every mm-hmm. context, they're they're all stuff that's written in the 50s and 60s. You look at our right. haircut regs, right? Right. You know, like I'm not saying that we should let every dude have a man bun like, you know, <laughs> double blog, but You know, Uh, there seems to be an unwritten expectation now that not only are you going to be in conformance with the reg, but like there's a lot of dudes, a lot of places I've run into where if you had hair like mine, which is in regulation. Right. I get it. I would have I would have a dude come and life me out about how either I'm setting a bad example or, you know, they would call the fact that I have a, you know, hair on the sides of my head at all faddish. And I get it. Like we need to look like we're in the military, especially in certain contexts. I don't have any heartburn with that at all, but you know, the standard is the standard and don't make up your own additional standard because you know, it makes you feel more comfortable or because it's an area of enforcement. And we really lose credibility on stuff like that when as leaders, you know, we sit there and we, you know, we life somebody out because he's got a, you know, partable length of hair on his head. Right. And, you know, you might have a high and tight or you might have a shaved head. I don't know. I definitely don't. But <laughs> but they you, you sit there and you talk about how it's faddish and unprofessional. Yeah. And then we look at the pictures of heritage that we put we post up yeah. in World War Two. Yep. And we have a five star admiral who's got a hard part cut into his hair, like a very clear <laughs> razor part. And we're yeah. sitting there and going after, you know, like a dude who, uh, you know, this dude, you know, gets a, has a Navy Distinguished Service Medal for winning World War Two. <laughs> and or like pictures of John Bassalone as an example, yeah. right? You know, Medal of Honor recipient from World War II as well. His hair would definitely get him lifed out these days. Yeah. And yeah. when you so, when you say, uh, sorry, I'm old and it's slow. okay. Lifed out. What does that mean? 
so life life out is like you know if you're if, i mean you're not that much older than me let's be real like okay. you're, you've only been in, you've only been in for two years longer than i have uh, yeah but when i say life out like that's the term you, know, you use the term lifer right you know somebody that's in the name okay, for life gotcha. i don't so, have a whole lot of room to talk about right at 16 years yeah but it's it's the you know knife hand at a 75 degree angle yep. <laughs> you know <laughs> the dirt on your boots okay. is going to get your shipmate killed yeah you know and <laughs> I, I understand, you know, failure to enforce a little standard leads to, yeah. you know, failure to enforce a big standard. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's room in between, you right. know, everybody is a boot camp robot and, but, and, yeah, uh, I, and, you know, the Navy is falling apart in this disaster. And where we really fall apart on that is any sailor that's ever worked with a first world partner nation's Navy, right? You know, if you've ever worked with the Brits, the Germans, uh, the, uh, the Aussies, the New Zealanders, the Canadians, you know, any of the other Anglosphere nations and they see how they run and they operate and like somehow they get underway and they have beards and they don't <laughs> die. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's, and we, we have dudes who are sitting there, you know, hammering guys on, you know, some of these, these mo- relatively minor uniform discrepancies or right. having somebody come down and say, well, beards are dangerous and you can't have them for X reason. And meanwhile, our our sister navy, the Royal Navy, you know, wow, who, who set our traditions, they're getting underway with beards every day. Specifically, the beard thing. I get uh, their stupid study, but every time I get underway on nuclear power, they sell mm-hmm. me a chit for twenty five bucks or whatever it is, so I can grow as my neck beard out as long as I want. Exactly. And in the event of a casualty, I still got to get a face seal. And guess what? I don't die. And I've been yep. in submarine fires, so don't yep. tell me that that study's true. I mean, no smoke got past my face seal. You know, and and like there's an argument for me if you're in like a, a bona fide sea burn environment where, you know, yeah. we're talking about something where like if two molecules of this chem- of this you know yeah, gas yeah, yeah, yeah. touch your skin you might die okay fine yeah sure. shave my shave my whole body <laughs> like i'm good uh but we're not talking about that and that's but, not and I, what the question yeah. is you know that the what this boils down to is we have the set of standards that were written in the 50s and 60s yeah. to and go against the, the counterculture the, yeah. you know because they were wanting to sit there and say hey well you know these long hairs they're right. causing all these problems. So we're going to make sure that, you know, people who come into the Navy, they know that's not the standard. Yeah. But I don't know if you've ever done this, but you know, if you ever look at like some of those 50s and 60s era training videos, you know, or mm. recruiting videos, and, like you should join the yeah. Navy and be an ET. Yeah. And like those dudes, they would <laughs> <Our> get crushed <laughs> if they showed yeah. up if to work today. Yeah. And I think um, that's some of the problem is that like that, like you're saying that the standards, like whether it's they're outdated because they're from back then or or whatever. It's like they all you got to do is update them. And I've been like, if, have you ever gone on the Navy History and Heritage Command website mm-hmm. and looked at the like, I'm talking from like the 1800s. Oh, yeah. They have uniform regs from back then. The pictures in those things are better than the ones we have now to illustrate what the uniform should look like. So, I mean, like, that's, you know, to me, the, that's a level of effort and bandwidth that's been and, devoted. You know what and I mean? And what like, kills me about it is like you look at the updates to the female hair regs, and I'm not going to yeah. try to beat up on the fact that they modernized female hair regs because God, they needed it. Yeah, right? for sure, for sure. Uh, but you know, they have 360 pictures. Yeah, of like every single one of those women yeah. that you so you yep. can see what's in regs, what's right. not. Right. And then we have this drawing that I mean, I'm sure you had the same drawing <laughs> yep. next to the freaking same exact head, thing. and it has never you changed. Know, and it's it's basically just that you know these dudes, and I mean, it's the same thing. Like I mean, going back to beards, it's like this whole thing with the uh, the note, the medical no shave chits, right? Yeah, like you have this policy you're dropping. 
that it's going to massively and disproportionately affect one specific diversity group in the entire right. Navy. Yeah. Like, how do you think that's going to look, CNO, when you that get in front of Congress? So, yeah, that was you so know? poorly thought out. And it's and it's basically because everybody sits there and goes, well, you're letting all these dudes get underway. And like, I don't know a single black dude who has a no shave chit right now who is going to get lasered. I know dudes who they're like sitting there and they're like, Hey, I'm going to get out. If they, if they make, if yeah. it gets to the point where like, yeah. I don't care that I'm over 10 years in, I'm not taking a permanent life altering change. Right. It's extremely painful. Yeah. Because you don't want to sit there well, and tell, you know, Seaman Schmuckatelli that he can have a beard. Like you said, I can tell you from conversations I've had with the the senior corpsman that I know, it's like mm-hmm. they're just going to get a 90 day chit over and over and over again well, until they but retire. The, the, the thing is that, you know, the the uh, the, the pending, you know, again, like this, yeah. is, this is rumen, but the pending update is going to say specify that there's no longer going to be any repeated 90 day chits, right? You have a set period of time before yeah. you can start getting in compliance. It's going to be a navy wide reg. And, I'm, and it's just going to be <laughs> like, you know, what did we talk about at the start of this? Never give an order that you're not going to enforce. Right. And that's what Do I'm saying. It's that, not, I can't, I can't see in good conscience this getting enforced, and because of that, and I'm talking about like high level people, yeah. I can't, I can't see these people like accepting this. So I feel like this thing's going to wither up and die soon anyway. Like I, yeah, I, I got to believe the feedback that they're getting on this you. is. I absolutely hear you on that. And it's just like, it's one of those things that I was really shocked with McPawn Smith and, uh, and, and not so much shocked with Admiral Richardson as a Naval reactors, former director, right. uh, as a former nuke. But I was shocked with McPawn Smith. You know, I mean, he has a background as a tech in NSW. Yeah. And I'm not going to sit here and yeah, he was a he was an IS at he did a he 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 kicked off uh, the war in Iraq. Okay. As an IS one. Huh. Yeah. So I mean, like, you know, and, and he he left the community and went off and followed the CMC path, and he has been in the community for you know close to I think 16, 17 years now, or 15, 16 years now, but. That being said, like, that's one of those things that, you know, I, I always ask a dude when I see an EXW pin on his chest, I'm sure you're the same way with about fish. Hey, where'd you get yeah, that? You know, right. right. Because yep. it gives, you know, like, I'll be real. If I, if you tell me, oh, I got it at uh co river on, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I'm a you. lot more, I'm a lot more about it with, uh, uh, DSI pins. Cause that's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, anyways, let's, let's roll back a little bit to yeah, where, yeah. We were, where we were at. Um, and I think that the kind of the last topic of conversation that we hit were hitting before this was was chiefs and credibility, right? Yeah. So you know, I look at a chief, and you know, I saw these exemplars. And then when I went to my when I was on my shore duty, uh, I had a chief that he was he was a career recruiter. Mm-hmm. Who uh, just so we're clear, anybody out there listening, career recruiters do not trust them. They are not oh, good wow. people. <laughs> okay. Okay, it's not a universal rule. It's not a universal rule. I've had really good uh, uh, career good. recruiters. I'm, I'm, I'm joking a little, uh, you know, little. but uh, if if you run into a career recruit, you know, career recruiters, they can, you know, a lot of them are very separated from Navy norms. We'll right. Go with that. Yeah, and you can say the, the same yeah. thing about NSW. But when you're on a, you know, sometimes career recruiter chiefs, they have outsized ideas of where their authorities lie. And mine in this case thought that his authorities included telling me to do his, his college homework for him and uh, not just his, to be clear, his wife's who was also a chief. Wow. And And how did that conversation go? 
Well, I mean, I'll tell you how it started. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious. You know, I, I was, this was back when I was uh, on the bag as a recruiter and he okay. came into the station yeah. and he sat there and he was doing his homework there in the room and just started throwing questions out to the air. And, uh, he said, you know, I started helping him because I honestly really wanted him to be quiet so I could handle right. my massive amount of paperwork that being a recruiter <laughs> includes. Yeah. And he realized I was a smart dude and that meant that, you know, he asked me if I could help him with his homework. And I said, sure, you know, email it over. And in context to me, it seemed like he was asking me to proofread and check his math homework. Right. And what he sent over was blank work. Yeah. And this dude was kind of a little tyrant. He was one of those real bad chiefs we've been talking about, you know, where it was, you know, everything, everything had to be his way or the highway. And, you know, you would do anything to just get him to not bother you anymore. Right. right. Like it wasn't about, I want to please him because I respect him as a leader and right. I, I respect his opinion of me. It was, I will do anything to not have to hear this person's voice anymore. I don't care what it is. You want me to kill my dog? Okay, cool. Let me go get a gun. Uh, and this, so, so he emails it over to me and it's blank and he it includes the link to, you know, where I need to go to turn it in. And, you know, this isn't a lapse of integrity on my part that I own. I did it. I did at that time. I sat there and oh, I went, okay. you know what? Okay, fine. I'm going to do this. And then I talked to him the next day when I saw him at my station and said, chief, I did it. I'm never going to do that again. Okay. That's, I, I can't do that. That's, you know, uh, like, like I can't do your homework for you. You, you, can, you need yeah. to either figure out how to do it or find somebody else. Right. And he said, okay, well, you know, I'll just take care of it in the future. Roger that shit, mate. Uh-huh. Okay, chief. Uh, uh, wow. And so what I found out after that was he went to two guys who were at a different station uh-huh. and got them to do it with basically the deal being that if he did, if they did his homework for him and his wife's homework as well, let's be clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause she was a hundred percent a part of this. Uh, they would get to go off the bag and they wouldn't have, they wouldn't be gold as recruiters like two months early. So traditionally as a recruiter, you come off the bag a month prior to your PCS so that mm-hmm. you can get ready to move. Yeah. And then they, so they spent three months off the bag where they, they just had other people put their contracts in for them. All they had to do was get ready to PCS and do chief's homework. <sighs> then they left. And wow. uh, what should appear on my desk a few days after they leave, but a nice pile of textbooks and some logins and notes. And at this point, you know, it's, it was no longer, I'm asking you to do it. I'm directing you to do it. And, so what I did at that point was I burned off copies of everything. Yeah. Uh, and I sat there and I reached out to the NSW mentor mm-hmm. who was a retired O5 EOD. And I had him set up an open door with me with the skipper on that following Monday. And I wrote out a statement. Like I wrote, I did a written statement and I brought all the evidence with me and I said, sir, uh, you know, this is what's going on. And I laid it all out for him in substantially more detail you know, with screenshots showing that, yeah, you know, yeah. it was both of the, both of the chiefs, not just, not just my chief, but his wife as well, who I was doing it for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I said it and I was expecting to go to DRB, honestly, because I didn't right. report it the first time. Right. And, you know, as a prior nuke, of course, my thought was, oh, integrity violation. Yeah. Like I'm going to go see the man over this. Yeah. And Skipper was, was righteously angry. He was extremely yeah. angry. And so you signed a PIO investigation happens. And this actually gets back to something, you know, you, when you were talking with fleet, you talked about disciplining chiefs. Mm -hmm. They both went to mast. Good. Uh, 
I didn't know they had gone to mass until I was getting ready to PCS and I asked about it up okay. at Headshed. That's unfortunate. Uh, and their punishments were for the his wife. Uh, she got an LOI, like not a, a, a local LOI as well, not a not a big Navy LOI. Okay. Uh, and he was relieved of his division. Uh, he got a new division like four months later, but he was relieved of division, spent four months working at HQ and lost half pay times one and got a permanent LOI. Okay. And uh, then she proceeded to make eight the next year. Ugh. And he made eight this year. Wow. So the mass, that, there's no way that mass paperwork went somewhere. They must have dismissed it and wrote the letters. I mean, I know that he got a half pay penalty because I, I know the admin that, folks who filed it. But but then, I mean, how, I'll, wow. I'll, I'll be real with you, wow. man. Like, I don't think he should have stayed a chief. I don't think he should really. Wow. I don't think he should stay in the Navy. I don't like, either. You know, I don't either. Both take both away. Take them. Take the anchors away while your boot is traveling from where it physically is in this moment to his butt to kick him out the door. That's like, amazing. And what kills me about it, and what makes me actually really angry about it, honestly, wow. doesn't you know, is I'm in a position of trust as a recruiter at this time, right? Right. You know, and one of the big things we talk about with recruiters is you sign a page 13 that has a list of 27 things you cannot do with your future sailors who, you know, think mm-hmm. junior sailors, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they include things like you can't go to the barbecue that their parents are holding for their call for their high school graduation if it's just for that one sailor. You right. can't have a beer with a 21 year old guy that you're sending off to buds as if you're the scout. You, you know, obviously, and a lot of it's the obvious stuff, you know, you obviously you're not going to have a yeah. sexual relationship with a future sailor, right. but like, like really basic, if they want to invite you to their goodbye party, because they're so proud of their, their son, who's getting ready to go, you're not allowed to go. Right. And meanwhile, my chief, my chief, right. And you know, my, the, 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 a sailor's chief, I think is a very fundamental and important relationship. Right. He went to see the man in his dress blues he got relieved of his division. He got the division back and got, and ended up doing really well with that division, got division of the year. So great. I guess he was a great career recruiter. He made eight. And what making eight means for a career recruiter is they're going to go and be an assistant chief recruiter of a yeah. district. Yeah. Right. So that means he's going to his base, you know, read department LCPO tour. Yeah. Yep. So I have some real questions about some integrity issues with in that community at this point, because there's no way this wasn't a known thing that had happened. Yeah. It's I, such yeah. a small community and they were basically willing to sit there and go, yeah, you did something that involved falsifying paperwork, which is obviously a huge thing for career recruiters uh, and having, and having a junior person do some stuff that's very, very unethical on your behalf. Right. That's incredible. And we're going to, we're going to pin a star on you yeah i and i i try to um i try to benefit of the doubt like everything just because i wasn't there i wasn't in the room i I wasn't yeah so you know when i I understand like this is 100 percent my side of the story but maybe i I can't imagine like anything like the fact that i have a login for his wife's college homework and i'm sitting there and and he sent me an email from his Navy.mil email account to my personal email account telling me to do it. Right. Like, and asking and it, me when it was yeah. going to be turned in. It doesn't matter. Like, I mean, I could have been a hundred percent in on it and making money. Right. And then, you know, hold me responsible for it as well. I wasn't, but you know, right. But like the fact that you, with how much we talk about appropriate relationships between chiefs and juniors, especially right. in my community right now, 
Like how in the world do you not sit there and look at that and go like you, you don't need to, you don't need to be in this job. We can't trust you with sailors. Right. Anymore. Right. Especially so, yeah, the recruiting side of it. I would say, you know, yeah, I, I try not to, cause when I, when I, it's, it's similar to chiefs, right? Where there's good and bad ones. And so it's yeah, like, I try to course. isolate, isolate it down to the, the incident, but well, yeah, of I know, I know what you're saying. Cause I have enough experience with that community as well to know that, it's there's there's a lot of opportunities for those types of issues but again like i some of the best chiefs i know are career recruiters too yeah and it's and like i mean like so the, it's kind of yeah yeah and and, and, and I, I really i want to make clear you know i was yeah. joking about that i know you I know, know yeah i i mean when i have somebody who adv- asked me for advice on recruiting i do tell them hey career recruiters will screw you um they're not all bad people but like they're they're not your friends either and right. and especially for techs you know, the thing I relation related to for us as, as NSW guys is, you know, it's, it, they're an operator, right? Their loyalty is to the mission and to their fellow. Right. And that's what I, it's yeah, that's what to I was going to say. That's about what I was going to say was that I think that their, their mission is structured in a way that even the best people that get in, I have, I have one of my, mm-hmm. my most recent LPO at sea is a recruiter. A fl- he's a fleet guy, still not a career guy, but like he's a recruiter right now and he's having a really hard time because he's not he's not willing to go all in on recruiting people and there it's just there's some things that well, I mean there's it, a, it, some business practices he's not comfortable with yeah and, and I mean there I have real issues with a lot of stuff with recruiting like they're yeah. still pushing people to sit there and go through phone lists right like phone lists that that they get from high schools well yeah how many people do you know right now like I mean I, do you have kids let me ask you that question no I do not Okay, no. I don't either, um, but I'm going to project here a little bit to kind of put myself in somebody else's head. Um, I have a 17-year-old son or daughter, and I have a person call on my phone, right. you know, identifying himself by his first and last name, and then saying, hey, can I speak to so-and-so? And I dig in, and oh, I'm a Navy counselor. Mm-hmm. Like, I love the Navy, right? And I'm not going to let that dude talk to my kid. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with that, you because that's, that's, I, I that's not a, how things that's not how things work anymore. I have and, a f- I, I don't have kids, but I have a uh, she just turned 14. Mm-hmm. I'm probably screwing 14 or 15. I'm the worst uncle ever. But so <laughs> I have a niece. She's a teenager. She wants to join the Navy. I told her that there is not like I and I was unequivocal like you will not step foot in a recruiter's office without me standing next to you. Yeah. And I'll be in khakis when I do it. Like, oh yeah, like, and I mean that's, that's and the I was right like, answer. That's, and it and it's be I, to a place like that, right? Yeah, we shouldn't be in a place where right. That's what active I'm duty sailors like, don't trust. Sorry, I keep interrupting you, bro. No, it's fine. It's I, I. It's not. It's not that I think they're all bad. It's I think the the business rules are set up in a way that they're gonna they're gonna get to a point where they're operating in this gray area, and it's like it it you can get into these places where you're, you're right. Their loyalty is to uh, the mission, which is getting people into the Navy. And so there's going to be times where you operate in this area where a naive young 17 or 18 year old child is not going to know the right questions to ask is not going to know how to navigate that situation or, or press harder for what they want and not accept what the recruiter is pushing because I got a 86 on my ASVAB and they wanted me to be a nuke. Like, luckily, I was oh, a yeah. bullheaded Irish kid and I was just like, no, I, I'm, I will not be a nuke. Next question. I mean, um, but there's kids that are not willing to do that. They're afraid of that confrontation with this grown up that's in a uniform that's really mm-hmm. impressive, that's an authority figure. So I think it's just the business rules are set up in a way that 
you know, I'm, they've studied it. I'm sure at what are the oh, best yeah. ways to get people to, to join because we need to get a certain number of volunteers so that we don't have selective service and a draft becoming part of the mechanism. But it's like, I, I, so I get it, but I also am like, I feel like the business rules are set up in a way that it's like, it's almost like you're standing on the ledge of compromising your integrity, but you're not allowed to step off. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's well, perilous. I mean, it's really here's, perilous. Here's a short list of things I did not explain when I was a recruiter. And so it was just stuff that did not occur to me to explain, but duty. I never yeah. explained duty. I didn't explain right. what really watch standing. Like I explained kind of what watch standing was as a concept, but right. the frequency with which you'd be doing it. I didn't explain field day. I didn't explain in serve or it or it's 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 navy or it's a nuclear power and submarine equivalents i didn't really know about in serve but you know we'll use that as a as a stand-in uh i certainly didn't explain cranking right right <laughs> you know uh i didn't explain what ne- you know and i mean like a lot of the other stuff but i mean just think of the you know for your junior sailors like your cssn when he checks onto the boat yeah. think about how much of his life is made up by those you know four or five things Right. And and they're not getting that explained to them at all until at the very earliest when they're at recruit training. A lot of it they don't know until they get to the boat. Like I didn't know yeah, I didn't know about cranking yeah. until I got to my first boat. That yeah, that was something that as an A school instructor I spent a lot of time cuz there was me and one other submariner there uh and it was spent a lot of time talking about what it's really like and I felt like it was something that I I had to explain. Oh, of course in a way that was like as truthful as I could possibly be. And it, it was like, I, cause I don't want you showing up and then looking back and be like, well, that dude was full of, you know, <laughs> like that. He was lying to me. Like I wanted it to, I, it's like, it's really, really difficult. The first year is going to be really hard. And then you get your dolphins and then this, that, and the other happen. And, and I, and I mean, that kind yeah. of leads organically into its own conversation. I feel like we've kind of, we've kicked the recruiter, Sure, around sure. as much and, as we and, need to and further just to, i, I want to end that that thread with i know there's career recruiters listening i would love to talk to one of you guys to uh hear that like because to, to better understand it, i've interacted with a ton of them i worked really closely with a, a recruiting district oh, yeah. that i won't name for the chief season stuff some of the most amazing human beings i know that are chiefs are, are career recruiters but I, I there I feel like they're set up to fail in a way with the way the business rules are. So if somebody's hearing this and they're angry and maybe haven't even listened this far, like hit me up and we'll talk about it. Hey, and and like I said to you know the crew recruiters out there that are doing it right and are you right. know, taking care of their their guys in their station, you know right. by all means keep doing it, keep crushing it. If there's a CR out there listening who's shocked to hear that his you know DLCPOs and NC NCRs aren't trusted, I'm sorry I don't know what to tell you. Um, <laughs> yeah. but I do want to talk about chief season at recruiting districts because boy, yeah. howdy, do I have something that, that, you know, that it's, it's going to hurt some feelings. Okay. okay. Uh, so I'm sure it's not going to be a shock to y'all or to you mm-hmm. that, you know, right. y'all are not necessarily the best about document control as chiefs uh, and uh, what, uh, be more, can you be more specific? Well, what I mean is that like, you know, the, the anchors only kind of stuff that. Are oh, anchors yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you okay. Know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm a hundred percent sure that's true. We're like, yeah, so, somebody saved the, um, the orders or the instructions on a place that you guys can access the uh, actually yeah, yeah, more, yeah. more think fit. Well, I mean, there's that piece or too, printing but, it or whatever, but I mean, but more like, you know, you when I, when I was, when I moved books? into my office as a scout, no, not, not the books, oh, okay. the actual op board for final night. 
Okay. Yeah. So it's same. You know, so when I say and, orders or instructions, it's like oh, yeah. generally you'll get an initial set that may or yeah, may yeah. not have all that stuff all at once. Some just some yeah. places and, will and release I had it that, in stages. And yeah, I yeah. mean, I had that piece as well. I mean, like you know, like like basically, like I was going through my file cabinets, mm-hmm. and I found, ended up coming across yeah this this yeah, you know, again dates me a little bit. Well, like you know, a, you know, a guy who had been selected, his you know, his his little book that he got handed the day of selection with uh-huh. all the stuff he needed to memorize and his orders, yeah. and you, this is yep, what your relationship yep. with your sponsor is going to yeah, be, that's and instructions, and you know, orders, that yeah. piece. Yep. And then you know, the next thing over was final twenty four plan of events, yep. right? And yep. I I can't speak to I can't speak to it, right? You know, yeah. because obviously I haven't been through it, and I don't know if maybe some of the stuff I read in there would be a lot more meaningful in the context of. You know, it depends on what you read in there, else. man. Yeah, but it depends on like, what you read because it's a lot. It's a lot different. I'll, it I'll varies. Give you, I'll give you an example. You know, and I'm not going to sit there and and you know I'm, I'm going to hold in confidence what I know was definitely stuff that was meant to be held in confidence. Right. Uh, but you know, one of the things that selectees were had to do was that mm-hmm. they 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 take him up to a, a ranch that's run by that's owned by a retired chief up in the high Rockies uh, in okay. my district that I was in. And it's keep in mind this is August September, or this is September time frame, so it's pretty cold. And they have him get out on rafts and reenact the Battle of Midway out on rafts in you know forty degree water. That's stupid. Well, you know, I mean, and I There's, and I know yeah. from talking that to kind dudes, of. Yeah, yeah, that kind ahead. of idiocy. That kind of idiocy. If that's if that's in fact what happened. Yeah, um, that kind I of mean, idiocy, because I can tell. So what I'll tell you, and I'm not saying that's what oh happened yeah. in this case, but I can tell you that there are times things are written in the instructions just to mess with them. Like, where well, this this was this wasn't written to selectees. This was written to genuines. OK, yeah, because th- it had it had other hmm. stuff that, you know, again, like I want to I, okay, I, I, I want to hold saying. the final 24 the... events. No, this this I mean, there was chunk a chunk of it that was the stuff okay, that was meant for a, for a new selectee. So, yeah, there's but, that's the type of dumb stuff that gets people hurt, killed or just at at best case scenario gets the season shut down. So that like know, and, and my real question is like, that's, stupid. you know. And and this is something that, you know, like, like, what do we talk about when we talk to sailors? Hey, don't do, don't do something that you wouldn't want to do in front of, you know, your, that you wouldn't want your grandma to read on the front page of her newspaper. Right. right? Would you want to do that evolution in front of the CNO? No, not at all. And that's why would you include it in, you know, certainly why would you include it in planning documents, but why would you include it? And I know it's not you, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm with you, but I'm a know, representative of, so it's fine to talk yeah, about it that way. And that's and, why I like having these conversations. And that's the whole thing. You know, when we talk about chiefs, right. You know, for better or worse, you as you know, you, you know, you could be, you know, a 29 inch waist, you know, walking sun God, uh, you know, <laughs> perfect shape, uh, you know, ribbon rack from, you know, top of the pocket to, you know, the, to the, to the bottom of the shoulder seam on your khakis, valor awards, everything. You're the perfect example, exemplar of everything that a chief is going to be, but you carry with you in that anchor, the chief that I had at one of my units who had a 48 inch waist and who I don't think I ever saw in us in, in, in any uniform other than camis or PTs right. because he couldn't fit into khakis and they didn't make them in his size. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he wasn't a bad, I don't think he was a bad person. I just don't think he should have been a chief. Right. And, you know, so we, that's we've a made, pretty important distinction too. Like I was having a conversation today with my boss, who's an officer prior enlisted. Mm-hmm. And it was along the line. And I've said this before, along the lines of 
there are people that I think could valuably, valuably contribute that. And this is less with like PFA stuff. And what, what I'm getting at here is oh, like, yeah. that could valuably contribute on a higher level, staying as a technician or whatever. Cause there's guys, there's tons of guys that oh, yeah. want but, I mean, to, we've, we've decided upper outs the way we want to do yeah, things. On, right. On which Eno, I hate. I really, really you know. hate that. And I mean, it, 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 it killed, I think like, I'll be honest, I would love to be a chief. And I mean, I don't yeah. think I'd be talking, talking Navy, the way that right. I do if I didn't want a set of anchors, but I'm not right. hungry for anchors the way some of these dudes are where they'll, they'll do anything for yeah. either. Yeah. But like, there was definitely a time in my career, uh, especially after that mass where I wanted nothing to do with the mess. Right. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I was a senior first class and I I'm come s- off a of deployment and I'm sitting there going like, I don't <laughs> want to be part of your club. Like if right. this, you know, that, cause to me, when I think about a chief petty officer, you know, my extremely excellent rock star, amazing chief that I had the next week after that happened, who was like, he really was like that. You know, he was, he was yeah. the person that when I, when I was really struggling with something personal, I reached out to him and, t- and talked and he got me, right. he got me off the metaphorical ledge. Right. And you know, that's, who like, I, that's good. Cause I, I know, was about to say, I'm surprised you don't have more. I mean, uh, animosity I've had, towards chiefs. If it like, which, I've had a succession of, I've had a succession of three really excellent chiefs. Right. You awesome. know, um, you know, but of course the thing is now that like, I tend to be a lot more observant and right. chiefs don't have implicit trust with me anymore. I yeah. I'll sit there and I'll smile and I'll treat you nice and right. not, not, not being, you know, not, not saying I'm not treating you as a chief, but you know, I'll be polite right. and I'll treat you, you know, I'll treat you with you due politeness to your rank but until you prove that you're trustworthy to me, I don't trust you anymore. Yeah. And I mean, I think that any victim of abuse in that way uh, is going to have that same response. Like I have a senior chief who she's now on the command senior chief to master chief track who I would trust with my life any day of the week. Yeah. Uh, that same chief that I was talking about that I had right after the really bad chief, same thing. Chief, I went on deployment with last year, you know, same deal, right? Yeah. But they earn that trust and, you know, they, you know, that trust is no longer implicit. And one of my big concerns is I had implicit trust in chief petty officers when I was a junior sailor, when I was a very junior sailor, right? I technically, I guess still am, but you know, when I was like that E5, you know, junior E5, E4 level, I don't think that a lot of junior sailors these days do. I think that there's a lot of an expectation now where, right. You know, they don't look at a chief and they don't see him the way that I did. And some of that's culture shift in the Navy, but I think some of that's, that's been earned by the mess. I think that there's a degree to which there's been a transition that's happened in the mess where there's been a lot of an internal focus, right? You know, we handle that in the mess. Uh, That's chief's business. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example at my unit. You know, we have a space that was not intended as a chief's mess. It was intended as a, as a space for uh, a troop getting ready to, to go deploy or to go cut over to a team to have right. as their operational space. Mm-hmm. And the mess claimed that and made it the chief's mess, right? And so they have a door now, whereas the troop that's getting ready to deploy, they're out in the cubes. And is there value in having a chief's mess? Absolutely. Yeah. Do I also know that SOCOM sat there and anytime anybody wanted a wardroom or a chief's mess and the planning documents for this compound said no? <laughs> yeah, I do. Cause I was involved in yeah. planning other buildings that were built on my compound. Right. And like literally if you, if you had a space that you wanted to claim as a 
non-operationally required space, it could not be rank specific. It had to be a, a cruise, a cruise space because that's, that's a best practice that they've learned from other elements, you know? Yeah. If and go ahead. I, like, sorry. Well, I was just going to say like, I, that comes up a lot where it's like, I feel like all a, all a chief's mess is, is a, is four walls, a ceiling and a door at the end of the day with chiefs. Oh yeah. So it's like, what's stopping anybody in a, in a scenario like that from putting a sign on the door that says, yeah. Cause like for me, and again, I, I, I've been in environments where there's messes that are individualized places like that. And, and I, from a I, heritage perspective, I love yeah. stuff like that. Right. Like right. I'm all about Navy heritage. Like my and little I, Alexa yeah. show app has a picture of the Missouri on it. Okay? Right. I certainly you know? don't think it's a bad thing. And I think that if the, if you're afforded the opportunity to have that type of a place, Hey, great. But on a submarine, like, you know, it's, it's a oh, little yeah. area outside of the birthing. So it's yeah, like, it's like, just like a common area. Yeah. I um, mean, like, well, I mean for like, so I was, so my boat was a 688 and so, okay. yeah. you know, it was like, it's tiny. you know, it was what, six, six, I can't remember if it's six or eight racks, some tiny number know. of yeah. racks. And like, uh, I was a never table a chief on an 88. So I know it's a tiny yeah. little table it, and I, th- I, can't, I, think, yeah. I don't know how many racks there were. It's like, it's, it's a table that's smaller than the tables in cruise mess. Yeah. And like, maybe I, I, it's, it's maybe it's, I, I think it's 12 racks, you know, uh, something like that. Cause racks. you never had all the guys in there. It was like, and, there was a handful. Oh yeah. There's always chiefs out in, out in, out in Ford the compartment, yeah, middle level birthing, birthing or whatever. Right? Yeah. And then, you know, the, the tiny little table and then a head where, you know, yeah. the Cobb and the EDMC had a place to hang their toothbrushes and everybody else right. had to sit there and have a mess kit. Right. Like, yeah, you know, and then, you know, the, other ta- the, the, the six man table that was for the chiefs only. But again, I want to talk about that contrast in leadership and we've been talking for a long time. So, right. but I, I really want to take it back to this. Yeah. Do you can, we'll talk until we're done talking, man. <laughs> like you until know, one of us is done. Um, so, you know, NSW and the submarine force, mm-hmm. they have a very compare. I think they have a very comparable mission in terms of its importance to the, the nation, the national security, right. Right. You know, to national security. Jesus. Yeah. I don't know where I'm at. Um, <laughs> And a, a similar consequence to failure in that mission. Right. But I called every chief I've ever deployed with by their first name. Right. E five. I called my chief by his first name. Yeah. And I've never, ever had a chief eat before me. But when I was on my 688, the chiefs got called down to eat 15 minutes before the rest of the crew. Yeah. And yeah. The lesson that you're sending, you know, like, like yeah. I always talk and th- think in terms of second and third order effects of any action. Right. Right. So for me as a, you know, when I was on deployment in Iraq, my chief, like the ch- chow is open for like two hours. Right. So it's yeah, not like yeah. he's going to sit there and wait for the last 15 minutes. Right. But like, if he ever saw me in line and he was ahead of me in line, he would literally get behind me to make sure that if there was something I wanted on the chow line that I could have so that if the the last one was there, I could get it because to him, it was important His people were more important than he was. Their personal needs came before they did. And that's something that I see that I think is trying to be taught during season and during the forming of first and then then our behavior, our behavior teaches something else. But yeah, then why are the, why are the chiefs getting called 15 minutes prior to you? Why? I mean, why is it not? I mean, if, 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 if servant leadership is the thing, why is it not that the chiefs don't get, you know, the chiefs don't get to get in the mess line until 15 minutes into the meal. And Hey, right. if that means you don't get that, you know, pepperoni pizza slice that you wanted or 
they're going to be out of the dessert that you like. Okay. Well, you're a chief, you know, hardships, part of the job, right? Yeah. And that's, I had it and I, it might've been with you. I can't remember, but on Reddit had a discussion about this particular point and it was, Oh, I'm sure it was because it's one of the things (laughs) that makes me the angriest. Yeah. And I thought about it. I thought about it a lot because like as a cook, as a cook chief, and I'm sure you've seen this is like, I, before the meal is generally when the cooks eat, if they have time. And so that's when I would generally eat if I could, and I mean, I wasn't oncoming or whatever. And, and I would, I'm just keep, I keep trying to talk. You're good. I I was, I would eat with them. And so like, it wasn't that I didn't know, obviously, like I was inviting them when I was a galley watch captain back in the day, but it was like, I thought about it. Like, I don't know. It was just a thing that we did. And I, and I didn't, interpret it that way until it was put in front of me in in that context and i was like why do we do that that's really dumb and like i would just eat and and if like the guys were struggling i was in the galley like helping them get up to speed and then i just ate when i ate if i ate so it was just like that's what it was and but it was later on that i started thinking of that and i'm just like man if i ever go back as a chief of the boat it's gonna be real interesting to see how people react to decisions like that because i've had a lot of conversations where I'm trying to make people understand that these little things matter in a way that like we are having discussions at work about how duty is like distributed, like how who's standing, what duty, if they're standing duty, blah, blah, blah. we got a real bunch of real weird policies. Oh, yeah. And I'm just like, why do we do it this way? Like there's master chiefs on staff. I'm a senior chief. I stand CDO. They don't. Why? They're doing the same job I am. We're equivalent. uh, uh, And unless you're wearing a cookie, which they're not. Why aren't you standing CDO like me? And, and I'm not I mean, saying that like one of the first changes I made when I so I'm the watchful coordinator for my yeah. command. And one of the first things I did was I went to the XO and I said, why don't officers stand watch here? Right. It was it was chiefs and below that were standing watch. And, right. you know, I understand the CMC and the XO. Yeah, that's not a conversation. Yeah. There's Yeah. hundred percent. Cool. You know, but we have a lieutenant here. We have three lieutenants and three warrants here. Yeah. There is literally nothing that's preventing them from standing duty other right. than, you know, it's there's nothing in the instruction. Right. You know, well, like, so ours is written in the instruction, which disgusts me even more. But that, that conversation mean, was had and it was signed out. And like there's an argument that I can buy off on that if you're in a certain kind of staff position where, you know, your duties, you know, routinely extend beyond normal hours and you're already working yeah. that extra, extra, extra time. Right. Like. Again, this is like if we're talking sure, about like a senior sure. there's, department there's master chief at a large command or a senior yeah. department head at a large command. Okay, yeah, got it. Sold. Eng doesn't need to stand freaking EDO yeah. or right. you know uh, CDO. Okay, right. But anything really much short of that, ops can sit there and stand a duty day once a month. It's not right. going to kill that's him. The, you know, to sit there and be message. on the watch bill. And yeah, it's just, and, it sends a message like, yeah, once a month you can take the duty and send the message that I'm not above this. You know, and that's what that's the part that I, I'm trying to argue. And everybody, well, our duty rotation's fat already and it's it's just a phone watch. So it's not a big deal. It's like, man, I get it. I'm not uh, complaining yeah. that I got to stay in duty. Yeah, I travel that, TAD all the time and I still <laughs> find time in the month. Like I was gone for the last two weeks. So like, oh, for yeah. the first two weeks of this month, I was gone. I came back. There's only two weeks left in the month. And I said, give me two duty days. I don't care if they're back to back because this is a joke to me. Like we're yeah. taking a phone and a binder home. So uh, and, I want that message sent. And the consequence of you not standing that duty, you know, you, hey, yeah, it might only be that, you know, 
somebody else stands one extra duty day in that month because you didn't take that duty. But the end of the day, the message you're sending is the message. I am too important to do this or my, or I have earned the right to not do this. And rank should have privilege. I don't have any heartburn with the idea that there's certain privileges that come with rank, but those privileges should be commensurate with the responsibilities and duties that you have. So you don't get to just sit there and go ahead. I'm going to push back a little bit. So define define privileges for me. They're like, what, how are you thinking about that? When I say, I guess it's not even necessarily privilege, but it's things like, you know, the, like you should say, I I don't, I I always say good morning chief to every chief that I see. Right. Like customs and courtesy. Yeah. Customs and courtesy. Like I'm talking, I'm not talking like, Hey, you know, we're going to have a parking lot that's just for E7 and above or, yeah, that's, you know, that's what I'm talking about. No, no. When when I say, you know, I, I guess when I you know privileges for me when I'm talking about the stuff that I'm I'm good with is is kind of more on that customs and courtesies sign. We salute okay, officers. Gotcha. You know, sure. yeah, you yeah. know when 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 I'm doing cleanup, right? I swing by the CMC's office and I see if he has trash. And right. you know, my CMC has told me on multiple occasions, "Hey, I can take my own trash." I out. can take my yeah, and that's but, that's the type of stuff that I'm like, do I need a parking spot? Really? Like, I feel like. Like there are times you could make a case for, you know, even then it's a stretch. But I mean, mean? like Like, there's there's a lot of bases now where they're because of how much commands are tried to expand, you know, the E7 parking or the like every single position in the chain of command is going to have their own parking space. Right. That they've gone to like literally like Naval Base Coronado as an example. Mm -hmm. Their instruction is four. Every command gets four parking spaces. They can do whatever they want with them, but they get four. So, you know, most commands, what it's turned into is uh, CO, XO, CMC, and CO's visitor or CO, XO, CMC, and sailor of the year. For sure. And no other parking spots. And that's what you normally, yeah, expect to see. But like my current command, as an example, Mm -hmm. every department head, every departmental CPO, the triad, the sailors of the quarter and sailor of the year, and a guest spot and two other officer spots in a parking lot that's like 40 spaces. That's so ridiculous. You know, and yeah. you know, the, like I, I pushed back on it pretty hard when I got there and I got this kind of what I would consider to be a non-answer of like, well, when yeah. we, when we set up here, you know, the, this neighboring command was parking in our parking lot. And so it was our way of sitting oh, there and right. making sure there was space. It's like, then why yeah, did you but, just label them command? Like instead you know, of all these important, like, or, quote unquote, or, or important. why didn't the CM, why didn't a CMC to CMC conversation happen? Because I guarantee you, you know, that CMC could have like the the CMCs could have sat there and had a talk where it was the CMC at that neighboring command would have come down and said, hey, this this command only has 40 parking spots and we have a parking lot. I get it. You know, you don't want to park your car in the dirt. They don't have enough spots for them not be able to park in the dirt on a day to day basis. No one from X command name will park in this parking lot. If there are questions, come see me. Yeah. You know, and. Like, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of authority leadership, but that's a real simple thing to do. And, you know, I think that's, yeah. that, that's kind of the place where that CMC strong hand role comes into play, sure. right? Uh, where it's appropriate, where it's less appropriate to me is when you see CMCs getting really finger fingers deep into every aspect of day-to-day kind of cruise business, you know, yeah. let your chiefs and your LPOs handle their, their shops as long as they're not abusing their people. Yeah. Um, but going you know, kind of rolling back again to this original conversation is I was abused as a nub straight yeah. up. And, and some of this was, it was, you know, early two thousands and sure, you know, there's a different mindset and it was fast attack, fast attack, tough. Ooh, yeah. Yep, you know, yep. 
Um, but like I literally had, you know, I was, I was an EM and I was rigging shore power and I had a dude come up the aft escape Trump ladder and stick his uh-huh. fingers up, uh, you know, in between my cheeks. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm you know, similar experiences Been and, humped. I've been like, yeah, you, you name it, gropes, you know, like everything. And like, that's, you know, none of that's the, the end of the world. Right. Like, yeah. Like, I don't, you know, but I mean, I've seen hazing where it goes that way. I remember there was a story of a case of hazing when I was on, uh, when I was in nuke school where there was a dude who he was a, a reactor operator in Qualls and he got duck and he was a, uh, up in Bremerton or not uh-huh. Bremerton banger, you know? Yeah. And he got duct taped to the reactor operator's chair and doused in isopropyl alcohol and had somebody sitting there and waving a match around like they were going to light him on fire wow. and had dip cans thrown at him. And here's what yeah. the dude did because he had so little trust in his chain of command to handle the issue. He went to the Seattle post intelligencer. Wow. That's a real great look for, for, <laughs> you know, Northwest submarine Navy right there. Right. Yeah. Having ET three. So, and so, you know, say, Hey, here's what your Navy is doing with all those billions of tax dollars that you hate right. spending in the first place. Right. Um, and geez, Naval nuclear power too. I mean, reactor yeah. operator. Good oh God. yeah. You know, and yeah. I mean like with how expensive it is for us to retain reactor operators in yeah. the first place. And we're, yep. you know, we've got an MM and an EM playing those games with him and his, yeah. his over instruct is, is not doing anything to stop it. Yeah. So, you know, we have this like, Hey, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to read books. And you know, if you're a nub, you're not allowed to look at the movie screen. If you're a nub, you know, you're not allowed to, you know, like I remember literally being in line in cruise mess and having an A-ganger to screw with me, sit there and ask me my opinion. And then as soon as I open my mouth, sit there and say, shut up, nub. Yeah. And, yep. you know, thinking he was being real clever by doing that. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. Well, why do you think that we have this high, you know, and I'm sure that I would, there are dudes out there, they give me the answer of like, well, we're, we're testing their psychological resilience, seeing if you can put up with it. Or they did it they're, to me and I came out that's, fine. That's yeah. They're doing you know, what they what they saw coming up and and it's just part of the culture, locker room culture, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like okay. It's, it's, there's not a there's not a And again, like, it goes back to yeah. me, like, would you do that in front of your mom? No. Right. And there's not you a know, reason for it. Like, like, and there's there's no valid training reason for it. Like, you know, we have right. stuff, you know, when I was in my last billet, when I was working as a trainer. I had times where I got very loud and very aggressive sure. with my trainees right. and sat there and really like, I, I could tell that I was sitting there and making them dig in, you mm-hmm. know, and they're cold and wet already. Yeah. And, and they're, and we're sitting there and we're making their life suck more. And you're having to do telling them, Hey man, you know, but just, that's, that's you what's going to galvanize a group of people. And you'll hear people, you make excuses for that, that prior submarine culture as we were toughening them up and getting them used to the environment so that they'd be, they'd be resilient enough to do what we know, do here. And it's but, like, no, like the, the suck on the difficulty level of what we do as professional submariners is going to galvanize a group of people does it together. Enough. Yeah. yeah. That's going to do it all by itself. That's why you know, we're tough. Not because of this, this crap. But, but every single time I did something like that, like it was planned and it was post gamed afterwards sure. in terms of like just yeah. as much as every other, tra- you know, training objective that we had, mm-hmm. we talked about the, okay, so how did Luigi, you know, handle being under that rope, wet and sandy, you right. know, did, did, was there training value in it? Does he do an okay? I did, do- what was his temperature afterwards? You know, yeah. is, does he have any injuries that we need to be concerned with? Right. right. Like there was a specific training objective tied to it. It yeah, wasn't that, like, I'm going to sit there and abuse my dude because sure, like when right. I was a new guy, I mean, when I was a new guy, I had somebody open up with a 240 right over my right ear without ear protection. Jesus. 
Okay. And that's the, you know, NSW when it went through its own culture shift as well and stuff yeah. like that. Um, and, and but like that was just how it was. And yeah, what I'm hearing from submariners is there's been some changes, but it, they're it not as, yeah, but, it's, but you know, you still see the, you know, if you're a nub, you better not be looking at that movie screen. You, you, know? you do hear it informally. Um, and it's, a, and I say this a lot with this culture you know? stuff, like it's a big ship takes a long time to turn. I oh, can yeah. tell you from 2002 when I checked in until now, it is night and day different. You For do sure. still hear you do still hear that stuff because you you'll hear like the second class A ganger trying to like, well, back when I my day three minutes ago, like this we didn't watch movies. Yeah, oh, like, yeah. yeah, you did. You watched movies, so shut up. Like, uh, I mean, and, my and perfect example is having somebody who joined in 2014 tell me that they were old school. It's like, bro, yeah. I was. I've been wearing my, I've been wearing three chevrons for two years at that point. Yeah. You're, you're old school, like a slice of like bread from the yeah. stores, old school. Yeah. And I, um, and I say too, like the, so the, the training objectives and the learning objectives that you're talking about with stuff like that, I point at the chief season all the time oh, yeah. and you'll hear me and, rail on and on about why is there not a master course document and well, built in training and learning objectives because like and, season events, that's how I approach it where it's like, we'll do I'll go into it. And if I'm getting loud, the VAT 99.9% of the time, I am not emotional. It's all rehearsed. I talked about it before they even came in the room that that and, was what was going to happen. And if, if, and I think that's a huge part of the issue with chief season is right now right. it's perceived as being uh, cool. Uh, I'm a senior. So I'm, I was, a, you know, I'm a non-select LPO. And so I might have had one of my juniors who was selected. So one of my juniors who in six weeks is going to, might be my supervisor. Okay. No heartburn there. Right. You know, that happens, but you know, he and my chief who I need because I can't walk into the mess and sit there and advocate for things because I'm not a chief. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're going to disappear for this next six weeks to go what look like from the exterior is games. And like, I know enough about the season, you know, cause I've been around long enough, uh, that I know that there's, there's valuable training that's occurring. There's important things that are happening. Right. But what what are we you know what are the most visible things that in the chief season from your perspective what do you think the most visible things to the the exterior uh the, the non-participants are um i would i mean you see the shift in behavior and bandwidth devoted to primary duty and mm-hmm. the runner out backpacks and name tags on and mm-hmm. uh much less visible much less accessible um yeah. I would say that you guys probably hear more than we think you do as far yep, as like the sure. trainings and stuff go. Um, I mean, so I'll tell you what I see from my exterior perspective. Obviously, this is stuff you're talking about and you yeah. know, the stuff we've just talked about in terms of, you know, hey, cool. I don't have a chief anymore. Awesome. Right. I guess I'll figure yeah. it out. And yeah. of course, I think this is also one of those things that make sailors question the value of the chief's mess. If the Navy runs successfully for six weeks a year, every year without a chief's mess, because <laughs> yeah. that's what it sure seems like, yeah. you know, then, then why is this, this critical organization that we're going to devote this massive amount of bandwidth effort and money to, what yeah. are we getting out of this? Yeah. But no, what do you see? You see PT, you see running to cadence, right? The only yeah. time we, we, we have folks out there running to cadence really <laughs> after boot camp. His yeah. chiefs out there singing these singing cadences, right? You know, uh, you know, three, two, one, shift rudder, yeah. right? And <laughs> you know, you'll never see more eye rolls than an NSW command doing command PT next to a group of chiefs. And again, we're talking about fleet chiefs. We tend to get a lot yeah. of chiefs in NSW. They're non NSW chiefs, so you'll have the sort of cluster of not really in that great shape. 
right. you know, fleet chiefs wearing the red season t-shirts because they're genuines surrounding this you know, group of yellow shirted chief selectees who are all in better shape and have more NSW experience than they do. <laughs> and there's a dude who, you know, it's questionable if he can run a nine minute mile on his best day yeah sitting there yelling at a dude because he's not he's struggling well, on after the, 500 flutter kicks like it's, it's like credibility. if you're not yeah if you're not doing the exercises with them it should you, be happening mm-hmm. and i it disgusts me when i go to pts and that's not happening and you'll see me and I'm not, I'll be the first to tell you right now, not in that great of shape. I oh, got yeah, same, some medical. Like, I got I got some medical stuff going like, on that. Like I, is, I've I've got injuries to every extremity but, and my yeah. back and neck. And you right. know, I'll, when I go out and have a shop, I mean, I have a shop right now, and I go out and I lead PT, and I'm very frank yeah. with them. I'm like, yep. I'm never going to ask you to do something that I'm not physically capable of doing. Sure, you know, uh, and, and I'm never yeah. going to tell you. I'm never going to lead you through a PT. You know, if I can't physically do it, and, and so there's and things I, that. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm like part of it for me is I'll tell them, hey, I physically can't do some of this stuff. Here are some things I can't do that are really good things to do, but I'm not going to tell you to do them because I can't. Right. Okay? And that's um, that's exactly how it should be done. And I can tell you that a lot of times at the organized PT sessions and especially during final night, I went this year. Uh, I traveled to uh, one of my old A school instructors that made chief uh, in Virginia and I did it with some surface ships. And mm-hmm. I surprised her. It was really cool. I, I'm super happy I did it. I got the pinner. Um, but they were doing a bunch of PT stuff and it was blazing hot in Virginia. And I was oh, yeah. not acclimated at all because I flew in the night before final night. So but on final night, it's like if they're doing it, I'm doing it as far as PT goes. And so like and it was not the norm at all. Like what you saw happen was they were getting told to do all these things and nobody was getting down there with them. And so it's like five 30 in the morning. They just got out of a van. They're eating an MRE and they're getting ready to do this run. And uh, they ended up after they were done eating, they put them in the push-up position and everybody was just standing there looking at them. And then I'm like, okay, so I got down in the push-up position and just hung out. And then they like started making them do push. I started doing push-ups, and then they're like, you see people looking at me like, what is he doing? <laughs> like, like, like yeah. what do you think? Like, what like, are you doing? What does like, lead by example mean to you? I mean, right. that, like, 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 you know, we we talk about that a lot in NSW oh, in God, particular, but just... also like, you know. The most and, powerful leadership tool there is like, just do what you want them to do. It goes you know, so far. And if you don't, if you're not doing it, you know, yeah. you, you can't be shocked when, you know, like you look at Reddit, right. And I know, yeah. you know, I have a hundred percent sat there and said some things in there that have gotten a lot of upvotes because they came across as I hate chiefs, yeah. but I think you can hear from my conversation with you. I don't hate chiefs. I, I just, I wish they were better. Yeah. I wish that the organization was more oriented towards what its root things are. And so, yeah. you know, you see the PT, you see the folks that run into cadence and, you know, there are a hundred percent some folks that are living up to the legacy. No question in my mind, but I don't think that that's the rule right now. I think it, that there's yeah. a lot of, there's a lot of dudes that they've gotten comfortable in a position of authority and power, Yeah, you know? And I think that's where a lot of, and I, a lot, I think you know, the idea, the idea of that ideal that you were talking about, like mm-hmm. the ideal of that, that standard and the, and the heritage, everything like the idea of it. I, I don't think it's the same as it used to be. I think it's shifted fundamentally in a way that I'm not a huge fan of. And I think that we kind of didn't even realize it happened. And so there's a lot of people out there that think they're living up to a lot of the things that previously have been built into our DNA but they're really not. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's time for us to start analyzing that and asking like, those how, hard how much, questions. How much and, of our heritage is made up, 
right? So like a lot of it. Did you read the um, Mass Chief Lucci did the study mm-hmm. on? Yeah, did you read that? I did. I mean, oh, my perfect yeah. example of of some things Blew that I see. My mind. You know, um, so some things I see coming out of the mess, right? That 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 I that drive me up the wall. Okay, so one of them is is a is a you know crowd pleasing little favorite, which is Unity Service Navigation. Okay, it doesn't <laughs> stand for some, Unity Service Navigation. That's something some some, some yeah. twin screw came up with in the seventies. Yeah, and and you know it wrote it and it got posted on Goat Locker and it's and, been there ever since. You know, yeah. and, and, and now like you know what do, what do they stand for? No, it stands for United States Navy. You're in the Navy. It like does. that's that's what it stands had, for. Like the exact rant you're going on came out of one of my command mass chiefs' mouths. That was like this old knuckle dragon a ganger that had been around forever. He was a cob three times. The last time was on the special boat, and mm-hmm. it was as he was a command master chief. And he's like, "That's my dream ride. I want to go do my twilight tour there." Oh, yeah. And he's my cob when I made chief. And that exact thing came out of his mouth during a season. Like that's not what it fucking stands for. It's not like, real, you know. Uh, and I mean, <laughs> I love. The, some of the idea behind the chief's creed, but yeah. it kind of blows my mind that we call it a creed because it's, yeah. it's not a creed. It's well, like during this day, you have been subjected to yeah. every pointed barb. And it's like, <laughs> to me, a creed is, you know, it's a statement of purpose and ideals. Right. Yeah. And right. You know, like I understand it's now a part of the heritage and it's going to stay mm-hmm. called the chief's creed forever. Well, I, but maybe, so well, that, did you hear that conversation with Fleet Kingsbury where he I brought did. that up? I He's did. like, I don't even, I don't even know where that came from. And I was a fleet master chief. He's like, yeah. that just appeared. And so it's like, and if you don't even know who wrote it. We need, what do we, what, why yeah, is wh- that? Wh- the thing why, that is, why, why does every single by? new chief get a plaque with that? Right. I, it's it. hanging on my wall. I'm looking at it right now. Like you it's, know? I, and, and I, there's some goodness in there, but and if we yeah. don't even know where that source document came from, like, like what are we doing? You know, like, like is, is that really the statement of purpose we want to have for the chief petty officer? Like, right. you know, you look at, you look at the sailor's creed, it's simple, it's direct, it, it states who it's, we are. And it's been revised as time passed. Exactly. It's not yeah. the same sailor's creed. And it wasn't written as the sailor's creed, it's written as the blue jackets creed. Yeah. It was originally meant for the, the new guy at boot camp, And, you know, now we've adopted it. And, you know, I think that we might, I honestly think we might overuse it a little bit. I think that having a schooler say the, the sailor's creed every morning and and sea school or say the sailor's creed every morning. And yeah. that when I did my junior sailor, the quarter boards, uh, you know, we just did them this week. Right. We had every single one of them, you know, pop to and say the sailor's creed. Yeah. And it was a really weird moment for me because the first one I sat there and I joined them in saying the sailor's creed. Cause I had been yeah. trained, you know, as a, I don't know if it's a training sure. scar or what, but that's what you do. Yeah. And instead like, uh, like everyone else is standing there silent. I was like, are we really sitting there and testing this dude on whether or not he has, you know, six stanzas memorized perfectly. Right. Um, and how I mean, confident I, he is saying yeah. that, like, I, I get it. The but, testing, the metric part, I can, I kind of get, I'm, I'm like, but I'm a, I'm a, it never gets old for me, man. I was an A school instructor and like, I, so we would, you I know, get, I get what you're saying, but it's and, like, and I, like, there's a, my room, there's a part of the fun pride. Me. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no. But, you, so you there's go. a part of the, there's a part of the pride that comes with it that, like when I look at the Marine Corps and I mm-hmm. see the way a Marine cherishes the title of Marine and that they earned that and it never goes away. There's something to the way they build that into their DNA that I wish we had. And I think yeah, that the one th- little thread I get to cling on to in the Navy that's similar is when 
I see people belt out the Sailor's Creed and mean it. And it, it for sure. It's one of those things that gives me like the tingles, like the goosebumps. And I'm just like, man, I'm I'm I cling to that thread because it's similar. And I wish we had more of that. And and I get what you're saying. And I guess where I come from on it is my little brother's a Marine, right? Yeah. And I know for a fact he's not singing the Marine Corps hymn every sure. morning. Sure. Right. And he didn't do that every morning at, uh, yeah. at in 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 a school, you know, yeah. they call it a school as well. I like, want to be a fly on the wall when those guys like I, I just for for when they receive their ETAs they, or, not even that, like how they're built. Like I would love to just go observe basic training. And I just mean, be like, if you're stationed you, in San Diego, it's man. not that hard, man. Like, sure. Yeah. I, if I get the opportunity to get down there again, I'm going to definitely check it out. But I mean, you know, talking with my little brother, it's a lot of the same stuff that we look at and, you know, at, at, at RTC, they just do it at a higher level of intensity and they have a little bit more left and right lateral limits in terms of how much they can do right. and the kind of language they can use and stuff like that. Do you, do you think it's also like when they get out to like the fleet Marine force that what the expectations and, and, and things that were built into them at basic are actually represented in the greater Marine Corps. More no, closely. man. No, it's the or same. It totally it's, it's the same. It's the same stuff we have to deal with. Okay. Like, Cause I'm like, like used to, I, yeah, I, you, I talk to my little brother every day and okay. you know, he's, he's a, he is literally an exactly correspondent position minus special operations to what I do right. in the Marine Corps at an infantry battalion. So like a very, very similar thing, except okay. he's a corporal and I'm a first. Okay. Right. And, they the exact same gripes that we have, except that they have the added lack of money piece, and you know yeah. they're a little bit more stringent on PT and BCAs yeah. and stuff like that. The okay. gripes are the same. Um, they are very proud of their title of Marine, but I think that a big part of that that's that's built in. You know, they really focus on the heritage, and I think right. that one of the big things that we fail at, um, you know, and we've tried a few times to build it, is building that respect and love for heritage into sailors. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you look at something like, um, you know, the, you know, my, my little brother, he can tell you that the very first female Marine was named Ofa May. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know that because he's told me that three or four times yeah. and I, and I have right. no attention to that, but I couldn't tell you who the first female sailor was if you paid me right. nor the first female chief, though. I imagine you as a chief I, might be able to I tell do. me Loretta Perfectus Walsh, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of what I'm getting yeah. at is that the yep. first time we really sit there and we talk about heritage for a lot of guys and gals is during the chief season. That's sure. the first time yeah. where it, you really get that opportunity to connect to it. Like you, yeah. you know, like, we, I, we, you know, BMC Williams, you know, we talk about him at RTC, yeah. yep. you know, yep. we, we, but you know, like, like a perfect example for me, like BMC Williams, that's a unique circumstance, but, but here, you know, here's a, yeah. like, you know, I was just in Hawaii, um, <sighs> Uh, this last week and I walked Aren't, on were you really I was when you were in Hawaii, we I was in Hawaii too. why did no, you we, tell me <laughs> because I was I was busy with other things okay, I knew that I was yes. not gonna was have time to, to spend time with you uh, who, yeah. like, right. like, <laughs> like I, I you know I, I love the podcast man and you know I'm really oh, enjoying yeah, getting yeah, to talk yeah. to you but I had other priorities than no I got than, you I got you know you. I was super busy too yeah, was, yeah. um but yeah. yeah no but you know you walk around Ford Island and like you go to the Utah Memorial Yep. And there's there's a story there about a chief water tender who I really wish yeah, I could remember Peter his Tomich. name. Peter Tomich. Peter Tomich. And yep. it is a perfect example of something that we could point to for every sailor that they could potentially yeah. have the opportunity to sit there and do. Like BMC Williams, yeah, go, uh, you know, going and sitting there and being a riverine. You're not, you know, like that's in Vietnam. Like that's, yeah. you know, that's a, yeah. you know, or or Michael Murphy 
or you yep. know Sablinski or mm-hmm. you know like I love my NSW heritage. I love it. I love it deeply. Yeah. But you know, ninety nine percent of sailors never would have that opportunity under any circumstance to sit there and engage in in that level of heroism in combat. But yeah. any sailor, any day of the week, could have the potential to sit there and make the choice to to put their lives down for their right. shipmates. And we well, don't yeah, and talk I, about I, that ever. At the A school, I would talk about a lot where so I, I lost my mind one day. I, I just snapped because like I kept hearing at the A school about all these cooks. Like, so my staff, I, there was a motivation issue there, but then mm-hmm. there was uh, the students like they just came in one day and we we marched to cadence to and from the barracks right standard a school stuff mm-hmm, and, yeah. and i love i lo- i love that stuff i'm a super super dig <sighs> you, it, you and i are on different so pages I, there but yeah that's okay. i got i know i just i love it but um so they i they said hey senior we're having a motivation issue today and it was like something something connected and i just i just snapped i started talking it was a gathering we did every week where we recognized the student of the week it was kind of like all hands quarters before the weekend right with all oh, the yeah. students yeah of course so talking to the whole student population but i got my staff standing off to the side as well and and i just snapped and lost my mind about like about cook heritage, right? Like everybody was like bummed to be there. There was a whole bunch of people that like failed out of another a school or didn't test high enough on the ASVAB or all these other things. And it was like, like I just lost my mind and started railing on about how it was an absolute privilege to be standing there. And I started at Jacob Wasby and I went down the line. There's six medal of honor winners. Go Mm -hmm. figure. Like no one knows their names except for me, apparently. And I was just (laughs) like, and I was just going on and on about that. Jesus, I was talking about Dory Miller. Yeah, and, I was about uh, to say, like, like I'm yeah, sure you like, brought up Dory Miller. <coughs> yeah, well, not just Dory Miller. No, but I mean, I'm, but like, every, but you, just, you know, uh, like, yeah, yeah. And I mean, yeah. getting back to something it, that, and, oh and this, I, I want to take a minute, and I know we've, sure, we've been, we've bounced ahead. all over, but yeah. like something you talked about, I would, obviously I cranked when I was on my boat. And you talked about as a chief, you know, you would eat with your, with the other cooks, right? You know, I've worked in the service industry as a side gig for, you know, either side gig or full-time for 19 years now. And I, you know, you know, to me that's staff meal and that's sacred. And I don't think that anybody who's ever, ever worked, you know, in any aspect of the industry would have any, you know, objection to, you know, CSC as chef, you know, sitting down with with his cooks and and having a meal that's a totally different conversation but yeah and it's an opportunity to meet opportunity for me to like talk to them yeah like it's it's your it's your moment of relation and you know there's nothing more human than sharing food around a table sure and and that's but you know like that's a huge thing for me too you know from a service industry perspective and this is so not germane to the navy conversation but it's something i get really angry at when i deal with folks who are newer and younger in the industry is it is such a profound privilege to be in a place to put things into people's mouths and have them trust you and know the effects that that is going to have, whether it's, you know, frying up an egg or making an old fashioned or anything, you know, or making, you know, or working at Alinea or, you know, death and company from the bar side, you know, anything in between, like it's a, it's a deep and profound privilege. And if you don't treasure that, if, if this is just something that you do to sit there and, and fill the hours and pay some money. I can respect, Hey, you need to sit there and get some money into your pocket, but find somewhere else to be. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like it, it's time, you know, figures, you know, like, like if, if you don't love it, the job's too hard. And that's actually something I tell sailors in my role right now in a, in a less mm-hmm. aggressive way, but you yeah. know, this job is too hard to do it. If you don't love it, if you, if, if you're, right. if you don't have passion to come in, don't reenlist. 
Like, yeah. and you know, like, like, and, and don't ever, and I get, I really dog on guys that, that go after dudes that sit there and finish guys and gals that finish their obligation and then choose to get out. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah, no, don't send them to jump school. I understand, you know, that's, that's a wasted opportunity for somebody else, but, mm-hmm. but by the same token, don't ever let me catch you sitting there and dogging on somebody that gets out sure. Yeah, because like honorably fulfilling that obligation, you know, I've got multiple generations of military heritage with me, you know, everybody gets out someday, whether it's at four years or 40, you know, and nobody dogs on the CNO for getting to 40, nobody dogs on the 20 year chief, but yet the dude who gets out after six Uh, years in a combat deployment, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I've started to get it because I've made it pretty clear. I'm retiring at 20. Right. I, you know, like unless something substantial changes, we get into another war, you know, that's like a real hot war. At 20, I'm, I'm hanging up my uniform, whether it's, you know, whether it's got black pants or khaki pants. Right. right. And, you know, I'm going to keep giving my all until then. By no means am I sitting there on road. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't feel like, you know, and, and I, and this is the, this year is the first, this last year is the first year I've had folks push back and being like, oh, you're not going to stick around until 22. It's like, yeah, <laughs> no. And yeah, no, I start, no, I've started if, if to get the. If I don't select by twenty, it's yeah. it's time to go home. I've started to get the get the grief about like I'm I'm eligible for nine and like they want yeah. me to go be a cop and all and it's like I don't it's like I don't not want to do those things but I'm starting the the scale is certainly starting to tilt you know what I mean yeah, <laughs> like where and, it's like and it's <sighs> like. Like it's, it'd be a totally different conversation it. for me if, if, you know, I'll be honest, like if, if we had a war that was going on, like a real no yeah. shit war, yeah. you know, and I sound like some motivated fucking 18 year old saying this, but you know, <laughs> I uh, get it. Yeah. you know, I would be down like, Hey, yeah. the, my nation needs me, but I'm looking ahead in the next four years and, you know, cross my fingers, hope to die. I don't see another war really in the pipe. I don't see, you know, realistically, Things can always change. You know, tomorrow we could be invading, you know, we could be dropping bombs on Tehran, right? But I don't see one in the pipe. And I don't love the staff and garrison and some of the other aspects of that life enough to sit there and want to keep doing it. I respect and value the guys that are doing the hard job in the fleet of sitting there and maintaining sea line, you know, maintaining sea power and keeping the, the lanes of trade open and free and maintaining our, our power projection piece. Right. you know, looking at that, C, the CNO documents. Right. But I don't have that in me to sit there and keep, keep sustaining that, you know, I've yeah. done, I've spent a huge portion of my adult life overseas, uh, you know, in less than pleasant places. Uh, and as I talked about earlier, I've sustained injuries to every extremity. I don't feel like I need to keep, keep playing this game for an extra two years you know, rolling the dice for a set of anchors or to sit there right. and just bump up my pension that much. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm not ready to hang it up yet. I want to keep doing this, right? but I don't feel compelled to sit there and take it past my pension or to, past the point where I'd invest in a pension. Yeah. Does that make sense to I'm, you? Yeah. And that's kind of, my head is in a similar space where it's like, I'm, my body's starting to betray me a little bit yep. and I'm concerned about my long-term health. And yep. Oh, by the way, I'm about to get married for the second time and I would yeah. like kids and I'd like to see them grow up. And so there's all these things on the other you know, side of the scale. And, and, and like, you, you know, there, there's a, like, it's a young man's game. Like I literally, yeah, you know, have sure. like, you know, I like for me, I don't feel, you know, I'm 35. I don't feel like yeah. I'm an old man, but you know, I look around and I realize that probably I'm in the top 10% H wives at my command. Oh yeah. 
yeah. you know, and like it, you know, like, like I look at some of these 22 year olds that they're, you know, these, you know, in 19, 19 to 22 year olds that they're getting ready to go sit there and go and do their first workup and do all that stuff that I'm no longer as excited about doing. And like, yeah. okay, you know, like I need to make, I need to start thinking about making room for some of these hard chargers right. to, for to sure. come out and crush it and, and have the opportunities that I have right now. I'm not yeah. adding, you know, I'm going to keep adding value as long as I can, right. but when I'm not adding well, value anymore, it's, yeah. it's time to sit there and, and there's a find big a question. Job. Yeah. There's a big question for me about value added as far as like, I've had a lot of people tell me that I add more value doing what I'm doing right now with you than I do. Cause like I only, how many sailors do I have access to on a daily yeah. basis at, at clocking in and clocking well, out? And I mean, with, you know, so, so again, like, and this, this might be another edit mark, uh, yeah. but you know, I'm the CCC at my command right now and I yeah. love it. Because it's right. a full time, yep. I'm, I'm the full time CCC and N1LPO mm-hmm. as a communicator, and that's yeah. just because they needed somebody to fill the seat, right? You know, yeah. uh, our incoming CCC got a DUI. Um, our outgoing CCC, you know, had to leave because she was already on order. She already had hard copy orders, and my CMC knew me and trusted me to not suck it up, uh, and so he put me in the seat. Yeah, and that's very similar to how I became a career counselor. You know, <laughs> except I was a chief when it happened. And so I have 194 sailors that yeah. you know they're 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 yep. mine, they're mine now. And so you know I went from having you know two sailors because I was you know just a dude in ops to having 194 sailors of you know up to a master chief, who yeah. you know I'm responsible for you know some of that baseline career stuff, and it's great. I absolutely yeah. love it, yeah, and that's awesome. you know. It's, it's, it's literally, you know, there's a part of it that's really kind of lit a passion for me about, yeah. you know, like it's made me really sit there and reconsider. Um, you can do that for a know, living, my, shipmate. Well, let me, let me tell you about Navy counselors on the, ooh, on the counselor side. Ooh, oh, oh. <laughs> so I got to I'm, shipmate you too. How dope is that? Uh, you, oh, I might have knife handed you. I might that, not have knife handed that, you. That hurts. So, so I actually, uh, I hate shipmate. And, ah, and, come on. Uh, I, you know, so, so what I've done is I've actually sat there and, you know, uh, and this is going to sound so hoo and ridiculous of me. And I know that saying it, but yes. I'll use teammate in place of shipmate mm-hmm. for two reasons. One, we're not on okay. a ship. Okay. And, you know, it's right. always feels a little ridiculous for us to say shit. Yeah. But the other part of it is that I feel like shipmate has been poisoned. It, yeah, you're not and, wrong. And it, it sounds kind of corny, too. I wish we had something like the army says battle. And I loved it. Like when but, we were but on. The ar- uh, but army guys feel the same way about battle, bro. They yeah, do. you're probably not. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, you're probably like, not wrong. You know, and like wingman for the Air Force. Yeah, wingman and Where's devil dog. Man? You know, yeah. and, and devil dog for the. For yeah, the these exactly yeah. correspondent to shipmate. <laughs> like yeah. exactly correspondent. Yeah, um, that, and, it makes sense. You know, <laughs> and like there's always going to be a word like that. And, yeah. you know, it sucks because. You know, we use, you know, we don't, you know, the other services, they're a little bit better about not using their, their bad, good word for lack of a better term, yeah. uh, in, in regular correspondence, but we'll see shipmates and, you know, Admiral Gilday says shipmates, I'm looking forward to seeing you in the fleet, you yeah. know, and yeah. like, it's I just, you know, I usually use it only in moments like that where yeah, it's and, like, and, where and I'm, I'm messing to- with you or like, yeah. and I'm, and I'm totally good with that in context. Yeah, but like I yeah. literally had a, a chief <laughs> sit there and like, give me a legit shipmate a couple days yeah. ago. And I yeah. was like, I'm not your shipmate. shipmate. I know I have moments you know? where it's like when I like, so I'm walking down the, the sidewalk or whatever. And I see somebody 
even if like it's they drop their wallet or whatever and it's like i don't know their name and it's like i, I have that moment where i'm about to yell shipmate and then I'm, yeah. i stop and i'm like ah i don't want to do that and, it's and like, i do the same thing you know and, and like for me like something like that like hey bro and like yeah, i just yell officer, hey yeah hey. you know like i'll you know I'll sorry apologize. sir like here's your, yeah, yeah yeah but it's just become it's become I'm a word you. that's only used in the context of correcting people and what's so funny yeah. about it is i remember the first time i got shipmated like the first time I got shipmated it was in nuke school when I was getting an instructor assist right from an instructor where he was helping me get better at nuke math. Yeah. And he's, and he called me shipmate and it was like this treasured moment for me. It was like, Oh, oh really? man, he called me shipmate. I got, because the, I had no idea the... that he was basically being a dick. Like I had no yeah. idea that he was like, Oh, you'll learn. <laughs> mine shipmate. was, yeah, mine was a uh, Navy ball cap, like at boot camp. Oh was, yeah. Like, yeah. And no, it was the, Asked, it was, it was such the, a treasure, yeah. right? Like it you was the how jerk much- RDC too that did it, and he was like, he was. I could tell he meant it. You know what I mean? Like, but he was a mean RDC. He was the second class Surface EM, and he just, oh yeah, he shook my hand. And all of us like, we just wanted to please this dude, and it was impossible. But at mm-hmm. the end, like when we got through, he meant that when he said it and yeah. shook our hand. I, everybody know. was crying. And, I, and, and RTC, you know, my my roommate's a former RDC, and he and I have talked yeah. a lot about like you know the the nature of, you know, what they do at RTC and how they, how or RTC and how much, you know, a lot of that stuff they really get invested yeah. in and they mean. Yeah. Um, and I think that, I mean, I think that the, the way, and here's the way that I can see a, a path to change for it. And it's going to suck if it ever happens for a wide variety of reasons, the way that we're going to get adoption of, you know, the, 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 getting back to that idea of like valuing being a sailor yeah. is going to be, if we ever adopt a dress uniform, where you, you know, you get an insignia that, you know, you wear, yeah. whether you're an E1 or an O10, and then, you know, congratulations, you're a sailor now, capital yeah. S, the way the Marines yeah. are about being Marines. That's what it's going to yeah. take to have that, like, valuing the title, because the ball cap, because, you know, of course, sailors realize that they don't want to wear that ball cap as soon as they get done with RTC, because they get to, yeah. Yeah. they may not be allowed to wear it at a lot of A schools, and then... You know, if you're not at a school and you're wearing a Navy ball cap, I'm, I'm old enough that we, I wore utilities like that was, that marked you out. You know, you were in some kind of special weird status if you were wearing a Navy ball cap and not a command ball cap, Yep. you know? And so let's, let's roll all the way back though to, (laughs) to NSW versus submarine culture. Yeah. So I never have had a, I've, I've, I shouldn't say never. I've had one person in 11 years in NSW quit nsw in any sense like like one 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 fellow communicator you know uh, it happens occasionally with with operators you know they'll they'll sit there and they'll pull their pin for one reason or another it'll happen you know occasionally like in our selection and training processes where somebody will self-select out and be like hey i thought this was for me it's not that i don't really count something like that right you know if, if you're like in the wet and sandy phase and you're you're quitting right yeah but like I have never had somebody, you know, and I don't deny that there's dudes out there that when they're, they talk about experiencing suicidal ideation, you know, they're doing it because they know it's their ticket off of the submarine. Yeah, sure. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think that they're the rule, but I definitely, I yeah. know dudes like that. I know dudes who've told yeah. me, you know, that this is why I did it. Um, and I think that's, that's an acknowledged part. And I think it sucks that there's a lot of dudes who get tarred with that brush yeah. of that, what those dudes do. 
it's become a lot less prevalent. They have a mechanism called embedded mental health now, mm-hmm. and they they're doing a lot more with they do thorough evaluations at, at the embedded mental health level. And if the guy they they're these people have been doing this job for a hot minute and know oh, what yeah. they're looking at. So when they, when it's somebody like that, a lot of times they're just like, yeah, this guy's fine. And they send him back to the boat. And it's like we when it first started happening, we're like, what? And they're like, yeah, if this guy does this again, like it's accountability time. And I was like, oh, what? OK. And like and then I got to go to a training where they kind of briefed that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, wow. OK, because the CEOs and CMCs and the, that level of people were frustrated where it was almost like it was uh, that's a, it's thermonuclear like i can't touch that with the accountability stick because of yeah. what it is because it's mental health but now they've they've started to to get to like peel that away where it's like like look you're going to go get evaluated and if you have a real problem we're going to do everything we can to get behind you and push and get you the help and everything else yeah but and, and those i think mental that, that health helps guys, a lot they know if you're if you're if you're full you know, if, yeah, 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 yeah. if you're just trying to quit. But right. I mean, I think that there's a real question to me in the value. You know, submarining is one of those jobs where we have so little margin and room for sure. somebody that's not that's not engaged and in it. Right. You know, like NSW is the same way, right? You know, do you really have room in your watch section if you're EMC for a dude who actively doesn't want to be there? Do you want that dude right. to be the guy that you're putting on the panel? And do you want that dude, if you're, I mean, for CS anywhere, but particularly maybe on a CS on a, you know, on the boat that shall not be named, Mm -hmm. um, you know, do you want a dude that like is, is angry that he's having to cook eggs? And so he intentionally undercooks eggs and, you know, potentially give somebody food poisoning. Like, I think, I really think that for, for really, I mean, I could argue for almost any job, but I think particularly like submarines, air crew, Mm -hmm. um, special warfare, you know, that capacity to unvolunteer is really an important thing that we need to have. Yeah. And there's two yeah. reasons for it. One, it holds the culture accountable, right? You know, if, if your culture is so bad and so negative, whether it's at your unit or in your organization, like your larger, you know, Naval submarine force organization that you can't hold on to people that they'll sit there and they'll intentionally choose to go to a less elite, you know, less valued organization and lose pay to get away from you. Right. Then you have a Gotta serious ask. issue that you need to look <laughs> yeah. at, you know, Time to, yeah. Um, and you might need to look at your leadership. I mean, I know we've, I've, you know, I, I, I came into this wanting to kind of talk about chief leadership stuff and we've been talking about lar- larger hey, culture, but we can do it again, man. Like oh, I talked to a lot of people about that where I feel like we, we do this and they think it's a one podcast deal. And then it's like, we you know, get three and, hours into it and they're like, we need and, to do this again. And, and I'm totally down to talk about it again. I'm, I'm glad For we're sure. actually really fo- doing the, the focus that we're, we're on with, yeah. you know, the, the bigger, broader Navy issue. But, you know, you get these dudes that they're, uh, you know, you get these, some of these cultural issues with, you know, Naval Special Warfare, we don't have folks that quit. Like, and some of it is culturally that quitting is the most toxic thing that you can do. And submarining, you do, you do have, you know, you like, you have folks that are quitting, even though there's no legit, you know, even if you have dudes that are just trying to quit to get off the boat, holy shit, like talk about your indicator that something is wrong, you know, like, and, and going back to that toxic, you know, the toxic chief thing that I was kind of getting around to, you know, I'm sure, uh, you know, the, the, this, this seems like it might've been a sea story that, you know, he had been told and he related to us. Right. But I think that, you know, the fact that he was willing to relate it as as something that he himself had done is very telling about where the culture was. So the ETNC on my boat, you know, he was sitting there with us. He was the duty chief for, or he was the the 
EDPO technically, yeah, 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 you yeah. know, uh, and he was telling us about how, you know, on his first, in his first boat as a chief, you know, uh, he had a sailor who was, he was an ET, ETN three, of course, back uh-huh. then ET threes yeah, who, yeah. you know, he was struggling cause they were getting ready to get underway and it was going to be his first underway and he was newly married. And, you know, he was really worried about how his wife was going to hold up while he was underway. Yeah. And the story was that the chief wrapped his arm around the shoulder and leaned in and said, oh, shipmate, don't worry. Your wife will be in exactly the same condition when we get back as she is when you pull out, when we pull off the pier. And kid goes, looks up and goes, yeah. And chief says, yeah, freshly. Wow. Yeah. And he's telling this to a group of very junior sailors as like a story that's la- that's funny and cool and it should make you laugh. Wow. Yeah. You know, and like, what I'd like if, to think if, that was just some weird story to make it a laugh, but it's I, probably not. I'm, I'm sure that it happened at some point somewhere, yeah, but you know, when I yeah. told my roommate about it here, he's a chief and you know, he said, Oh, I've heard the same thing before. So yeah. I'm sure there's a root story yeah, probably back in the eighties sure. or nineties, but it's, it's a culture reflection, right? Yeah. You know, this dude thought that that would be funny and cool to sit there and, you know, tell this story about how he had sat there and, and, oh, yeah. and then of course the conclusion of the story is the kids started crying and yeah. then he quit two underway right. or he quit, he quit during the underway. Yeah. Right. And like, Hey, I made a, I'm, you know, I, as a chief, this position of trust, getting back to what we were talking about with the position of trust and responsibility and, you know, that exemplar of what a sailor should be. Right. You have, I, I made a sailor quit by sitting there and telling him that his wife was going to cheat on him while we were underway. Right. And probably and, said some stupid comment about like how I made us stronger as a result. Blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, of course. Like you, 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 you know where it's going, right? Yeah. And, 100%. you know, I mean, we have our own cultural issues in NSW. I don't think I need yeah. to sit there and point out that we just court martial. We very publicly court martialed the chief. Um, you know, regardless of what the results were. And we've got another chief getting ready to go up for court martial for, for murdering a brother in arms. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, but you look at that and you go, I have never had a chief say something like that to me in NSW. I've never even thought that one would. Right. Right. You know, and these are dudes that like, I go and drink at their houses like, yeah. and I know a lot more than I think most sailors do about their chiefs. I think a lot of sailors, their chief just sort of disappears off into the ether, you know, yeah. goes into the chief storage <laughs> locker in between, in between duty days. Yeah. Um, you know, meanwhile, like, you know, and I may be projecting here, you know, I, I freely am willing to admit my lack of knowledge on some of this stuff, but in NSW, you know, when you're in that, especially that junior level, like, you know, your chief really well, like yeah. you, yeah. you know, my, my last chief wasn't, you know, chief insert last name here you know unless i was a trouble he was Dale. and when he came up to me he goes hey Dale, what's going on today and he knew about my troubles with my you know my personal life and i knew about you know how his kids were doing at baseball right um and you know he had full buy-in from me as a result yeah and i think that you, you look at some of these cultural things i don't think it's unique to submarining so I sure. do think that having an, a, a way to unvolunteer from these positions of special reliability, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. is an important thing. Yeah, which um, we don't. Which we don't. Submarines. You know, we yeah. just sit there and we bring a dude on board and we say, hey, you know, well, your life is going to suck for the next year and a half while you're qualifying fish. And then it might get a little bit better once you're senior and rate qualified, but maybe not. Yeah. And, you know, why can't we hold on to nukes? 
Why yeah. do the, all these nukes keeps getting out? Why do we have so to? Fun, you know, go ahead. Fu- sorry, funny story. So I have uh, there's a couple of nuke chiefs um, that are going by pseudonyms that are doing mm-hmm. a podcast called. Um, oh, give me, I'm, I'm brain farting right now. I feel like an idiot. I just started listening to it while I was in Hawaii, but there it's two nuke chiefs and uh, oh, fact finding. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, Do you they're, see they're it on the of, reactors critical? Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm an ex nuke man. Of course, I'm following. Okay. Reactors yeah. Critical. Of course. Right. And so they they shared it. That's where I saw it. I listened to it, and I immediately reached out to them and was like, "We got to talk." Because I have yeah. na- naval nuclear propulsion. The reason why nukes are so sad. That kind of thing. Like I like that. That was one of their yeah. episode names. It's like I got it. I want to. I want to go down that road. And for I that mean, reason. you know, my my my. So they're they're going to be on soon. You know, my personal insight into that as a prior nuke, why I think that there's, there's, you know, why nuke struggle is, you know, we, you know, as a, and, and I think I can add something to this as an ex recruiter as well. So right. the, the qualifications to be a nuke mean that you're almost always going to get an intelligent and curious and capable individual. Yeah. And then we shove them through a year and a half long school, which is academically challenging which includes a qual card, a six month long qual card at the end of it, a prototype, right? They go through and they have, they have to basically do full ships quals minus SRO or not full ships quals, full, full engineering quals minus SRO to qualify out a prototype. And then we send them out to a ship and we immediately start treating them like trash. Right. And the, the forward end of the boat, you know, the cones, they start treating them extra trash because they're propane. They're getting from their perspective yeah, they're getting yeah. propane, their nukes. And they're operating in this extremely constrained, you know, basically we expect you to be a robot sort of construct. Right, right. And all the most junior officers are their direct overseers in terms of day to day. And we have a massive down. I think we have a massive quality down select where we lose a lot of our quality because our most talented nukes, they can sit there and they can take the skill set that they've earned and that, you know, that NEC and they can make monster money on the outside. Mm-hmm. So what do you get on your nuke chiefs? (laughs) You get a mixture of dudes that aren't functional outside of a Navy construct and folks that really love the Navy, really love the Navy. Yeah. Right. And my two best friends in this world are both prior nukes and both got out and, you know, and, and, and I, and I'm betting they're doing quite well for themselves. They're both doing, they're both doing amazing, you know, and like, I'll give you an example. I have a dude who was, he was a nuke with me on my first boat. And I'm not mm. going to give his name because sure. I'm going to respect his privacy, but he's working in processor design at AMD. Like he literally is sitting there and doing transistor and processor design, making high six figures yep. with bonusing, yep. you know, I as got- a 30, <laughs> as a 37 year old. Yeah. My and, best friends at the Hoover dam making a ton of, ton of money. And then my other yeah. buddy is a, is a aerospace engineer graduated from U of M after he got you know, out. Um, there, there's a dude on doing amazing. There's a dude on Reddit who he works at SpaceX, you know, and he's making monster money there and he's putting stuff into space. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, so there's all these opportunities. <laughs> like before I got out of before I, I haven't gotten out of the Navy before I got to my, you know, come closing on my EAOS. Like somebody had put my, so one of my buddies had put my email into one of these headhunting organizations and I was yeah. getting emails from them saying, Hey, you know, we will pay you X number of dollars just off your quals alone. We'll pay you to come interview. Like, wow, that's, that's the level <laughs> just that, that, to interview. Yeah. Like literally like wow. we understand, you know, we want you to come and do an inter- in-person interview in Texas. Um, and you live in, you know, California, we will yeah. pay you to come and interview with us. 
That's amazing. You know, and that, high that, confidence you're not going to walk out of the door without saying yes, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. And so, so that's, you know, that's what nukes have facing them on the outside. Yep. And yep. so, you know, you have some, a lot of the guys you end up as chiefs that I would say, I'll use the term leadership challenged, uh, yeah. you know, in terms yeah. of where they're at. And, you know, is it, is it, do I think all nuke chiefs are bad? By no means. I know some great right. nuke chiefs and I think, yeah. you know, like just like any other rate, any other organization, there's great dudes that are in it for good and bad reasons. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that the, one of the biggest quality downslikes you see in the Navy is at the eight year point for nukes. Cause you'll get, dudes sure. they'll, they'll reenlist for that E five and that bonus. Yep. Yep. And then Star enlist before you know, they know what it's like. And then they're stuck. They, they get done and they are, you know, they're, they're, they're so ready to get out. You know, occasionally you'll have a t- few dudes who hook like, well, we'll take you off the boat early. If you'll go and do short duty for three years, yeah. takes you out to your 10. And then that the, the, a lot of those dudes, those are the dudes that they end up sitting there and Hey, you know, maybe they make seven while they're on shore or, you know, whatever. And then that's the dude who comes to your boat. Like he's done one, one ship, you know, and then a recruiting and either like recruiting or prototype or power school instructor. And congratulations. He's your new, you know, department yeah. chief or in a department division chief. Yeah. That's the issue. Like, one of the biggest issues I have is rank as an incentive, but I mean, I'll, yeah. I'll save that conversation for the, for the yeah. fact finding guys. But yeah, <laughs> it's like, I, there's a, that's going to be a fun one because you know? I, I, I'm really excited to have that type of a conversation because they're both about to, they said get out of the Navy. I'm assuming they mean retire because they're chiefs, but I could be wrong about that because like you said, go I've got buddies. Way. I've got buddies that, yeah, they went to the first shore duty made chief and still rolled out like oh, yeah. just separated and they were in like 11 years and doing great. So, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, I man. mean, like straight up, I could pull my ripcord right now. Like I'm, I'm, obli- you know, I'm under contract, so I can't, but let's say I could pull my ripcord at this exact moment. Right. I could walk out and make two to three times what I do. Uh, as a, as an NSW contractor or as a prior nuke, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm in it. And I think, you know, I hope I'm in it for the right reasons. I'm in it because I love it. Right. Right. You know, and I want to make it better and I care about it, which is why I'm talking to you. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's the, there's a, there's a lot of talent out there that's in that mindset. I think there's also a decent amount of folks out there that, you know, and I think especially inside the doors behind the mess door, you know, there's some dudes out there that they really enjoy, you know, some of the stuff that comes with being a chief more than being a chief, a chief, you know, and that was something me and fleet Kingsbury talked about. And we agreed on was that that's the, that's the part that disturbs us the most is, and that's part of why that we think the focus is kind of skewed. Yeah. And I mean, uh, like I get caught up in that stuff. You know, I, I, I wrote about it. This is something I wrote a long time on Reddit, but I'm pretty proud of, uh, Mm -hmm which is the, the point of failure for chief petty officers is when you cease to be your sailor's chief and start to be just a chief. And the second point of failure becomes when you cease to be a chief and start to just be part of the mess, right? Like when you have the pirate stick, the pirate chief sticker, which no <laughs> offense, bro. And I don't know if you have one of those in the back of your truck. <laughs> I, I think that not. is the <laughs> dumbest thing. I you do know, not. Yeah. Like the, the, there was, the, I'm the, not going to say I never did when I was a junior chief. Hey, I mean, and I, I, I have I, a chief ring that I wear, but that's about as far as it goes. We're, we're all boots in our own way, right? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. like, like you look at my, you know, my, my truck, you know, I've, I've got a, you know, I had these stickers that I had made years and years ago, you mm-hmm. know, and I still give them out occasionally because I have, I, I got a big pile of them. 
but you know, there's something very specific to the communicator community that like yeah, other yeah. communicators would recognize. I've got that, you know, um, you know, like everybody's booed about something, yeah. but I feel like, you know, for me that the pirate skull, like the skull chief, mm-hmm. like there's two things, you know, one, like the skull chief insignia that you see really commonly. Yeah. And this is where I get all like, Oh, you know, weird squishy lefty dude. It looks a lot like an SS skull to me. And I don't like that at all from an imagery perspective. And I don't then, think I've ever compared it before, but I kind of see it in my head. I'd, I'd have to put them side by side. Like, like, you know, you'll see them occasionally where it's like, it's got the hat on, right? Cause the, yeah. the SS yep. skull has the hat on it. Okay. Yeah. And it's like facing a little to the, to, to the viewer's left. Right. Yeah. And you've got the huh. anchor collar points, you know, like do yourself a favor, yeah. look at you're it. You're the, you're the first person that's ever brought that up. I'm going to have you know, to Google it when I, we're done. I don't and, yeah, like, yeah. like, you know, I don't, and I don't think anybody like, you know, if there's anybody that intends that they're in the ultra, ultra minority, Yeah. but there's something to me about, you know, skull with a hat on it is kind of, you know, my, like, so my mom's side of the family, they were immigrants from Czechoslovakia in 1968. And my grandmother lived through the Nazi occupation as did my yeah. grandfather. And like, I, I'm telling you right now, like the first time my, uh, my Czech grandmother saw that she immediately started asking me about Nazis. Like she saw it straight off the bat. Okay. And I know that I doubt that there's a, you know, like of any of the chiefs I know that have it on there. I can't imagine a single one of them can't thinking in those terms. I get what you're saying though. I mean, the imagery is what it is, right? And you put a skull, you know, you put a skull with a hat on it. Unfortunately, that's, there's a tie to that these days. But I mean, just generally like the, the skull and anchor thing, right? Like it's, to me, it's like the Punisher skull. Okay. I get what you're trying to communicate. You're trying to communicate hardness. You're trying to say, Hey, we're tough. We have this, you know, organizational toughness, but I don't think that's what's coming across. What's coming across is like this fault, you know, one, this false motivation and two, you know, maybe like you're coming across and you're like the, the dudes that I've seen that are all skull goat anchor guys, they don't tend to be the most technically and tactically competent dudes. They tend to be dudes that are, and some of it might be that they're new chiefs, but some of it I think is that they sublimate their identity as whatever their source rate is. And as a person into that set of khakis. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, like uh, there's somebody again on Reddit, you know, who wrote something really smart about it, which is like, when you become that person, you're no longer a chief and you're no longer even a sailor. You know, you're just a walking meat suit in khakis. And, Like if you allow your identity as a chief to so totally yeah. sublimate anything else about you that yeah. all that matters is the mess, then you're really failing, right? Because yeah, you, and I, you know, I think that allowing – like I'm not going to say that – it like being a chief is – it's a very important thing to me oh, for yeah. some different reasons. But it's – I can tell you that it's not – I have not allowed it to become – yeah. a part of my identity in a way that's going and to like for like almost like be a barrier to me hanging it up when I'm done. Like I'm, yeah. I'm who I am and this is just a, a thing that I do and, and, and it's, I'm very proud of it, but it's just a thing and, that I do. And you should be like, I don't want to deny anybody, any sure. chief that's proud of being a chief. I don't want to ever deny you that pride. Right. That's, that's, right. that's a hard one honor, but guess what? You got to keep earning it. 
And yeah, now every the, single day. Yeah, I have a buddy. We, I have a we, buddy we, that got like into woodworking, and I got a thing sitting over by my chair that it's just an anchor, very plain, mm-hmm. etched in with like a CNC, and it just says "earn your anchors every day." And yeah. It's like, well, I mean, what we have so, so anywhere you go, uh, an Naval Special Warfare Command, any command that has team guys at it, mm-hmm. you will see "earn your trident" every day, yeah. and then at Tech Command, it'll be "earn your place here" every day, right? Yeah. You know, and I think that getting that idea into junior sailors' heads that you need to earn your place here, you need to show that you're, you know, that that that, that it's that this is a place worth being, you know, that, that you that you belong here, but you also have to make it a place worth being, if you right. want folks to want to do that, right? And right. so, you know, getting back to what we talked about, like, why don't some junior sailors want to be chiefs because they don't see that honor as being one worth earning. Sure. And that makes, you know, like that's, that's a, that should be kind of a significant kind of big red warning light. You know, it if is. you have a dude who's a really squared away guy, you know, I think, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm sure you saw it in the chief groups where there was the, the sailor who got asked about if, you know, what he, whether he wanted to put on chief. And he said, I haven't yep. met a chief yet that, yep. that I want to be. Yeah. That was command you know? chief, Bill Houlihan. Awesome mm-hmm. dude. I've, and, I've talked to, uh, I've had a lot of conversations about that and shared it on a lot of the platforms. Um, you know, and, I actually and, did a whole spin the yarn on that exact post. It's and like, I know Mick Pond, I mean, you know, on that Facebook, the original Facebook page that Master Chief Houlihan put up, you know, yeah. Mick Pond commented on it, you know, sure. in the face of all these dudes who are saying they're going, Oh, well he just needs to harden up and learn no. straighten up and fly right. Cal check him. Nah, no. bro. That's that's no. the, the problem set is not the sailor. The problem set is the fact that you have a squared away solid dude right. who is looking you willing to look his CMC in the face and say, right. I don't want to be you. And it's and it's not like the thing that kills me is like those reactions are wrong, regardless of like if they're is a problem or a perceived problem. It's what that Ellis one was talking to me yep. about. Like, look, if that sailor perceives us that way that's a problem and we need to treat it like we are that way and figure because that's how he's he's receiving it so we need to examine why he's he's perceiving that type of an issue and investigate whether or not it's real or whether it's on a like a micro level and maybe just mm-hmm. his chief is the problem or if we have a cultural problem on our ship and our mess or as an organization as a whole because it, it's being perceived by in a wide swath by junior sailors that we are what we are, this caricature of ourselves. So is it a caricature or is it actually part of who we are? And And again, to address that, like, like what, going back to what I just said, I think that it, you know, there's a degree to which we've allowed this, you know, like, Hey, we we're, we're no longer chiefs or we're no longer ratings. We're, you know, we're no longer in our rates. We're chiefs. And, you know, so now I'm every sailor's chief and yeah, okay, I got it. You know, and I was just talking about how much I'm every sailor's, you know, I'm every sailor at my command CCC, right? Yeah. And that's important to me and, my, you know, and I, I care about it a lot. And I love the chiefs that are really passionate and, you know, are willing to sit there and jump in and provide mentorship if they feel like a sailor isn't getting an adequate mentorship from their chief or they, they don't right. have a good connection. But what I don't like is this idea. And I've had a couple of chiefs kind of float it with me in conversation of like, well, you know, I was hearing that we're looking at getting into a place where, you know, if you're a chief, we can just assign you to be a DLCPO of, of any, any department, anywhere, like kind of the way the Marine Corps does with first sergeants and sergeants major. And I'm just sitting there going, no, no, I can't imagine, you know, I mean, I, senior, I'm sure that you, you know, you've, you've, you like, you can hear from the way I talk to you. I have a lot of respect for you. Yeah. And, but I don't want you to be my DLCPO right. 
right. at a team. I don't want me to be your command master chief because yeah. I know nothing about NSW. Like you get to a level where leadership's leadership. And could I learn all about the community oh, for sure. and come in as a humble person and, and figure that out and, and probably be okay? Yeah, sure. But absolutely. for you on the receiving end of my leadership, there's got to be a certain amount of like context. That, I mean, that's, like, that's, that's part of, you know, for me, that's yeah. part of why I've, I've wanted to not like, I've, you know, it's when it's come up as a discussion, well, do you want to go to a ship? And I've sat there and gone, I really don't. And it's not that I'm afraid of getting underway on a ship. Like I'm not afraid right. of hard stuff. It's that if I roll into a ship as a 16 year first right now, right, 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 you know, and you have, and you as an E3, you have to teach me how to read the signs, right? Because I don't know <laughs> how to read a bullseye, literally. Like I know what they're called because somebody told mm -hmm. me, but I don't know how to read the signs. I don't know the, yeah. the, the, the basics of the culture because I've been so, spent so long in NSW. How long are you guys, you know, how long is, is that as the chief's mess on there? We're going to be willing to sit there and let me be the LPO of right. that division or department before they sit there and go, Hey man, you're fired. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. You, you, you're, you're just you're, not functional. You're too far behind the curve to be yeah. in charge and you're not and a bad person, yeah. but like you just, you, you know, like, you know, like, and that's, that's my big worry. And like, I've had people go, Oh no, you'd be fine. You'd figure it out. And I'm like, no, I don't think I would like, yeah. And it, it just <laughs> depends. Cause there's definitely, I know guys that were cobs on submarines that went to be command mass chiefs of like air wings and stuff. Oh, yeah. and it's just like, and but that, I mean, it, again, that's that, like that. That's when but you're it's getting different. into that higher level leadership, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, it's, like, there's a point at which I think it transitions, but yeah. But you know, like, like I think that, you know, definitely, you know, at that Oh five command master chief level, like you really want somebody who's, who's coming from your community, yeah. right. Or something closely affiliated to your community. Like you don't necessarily need to have a fast attack guy go and be, you know, it has to be a fast attack, you know, DLCPO to go and be the cob on right. an 88 or Virginia. And it doesn't need to be, you know, uh, an F eight, you know, you don't need to have been an F 18 CMC to go be an F 18 squadron CMC. You know, you could be another yeah. Airedale, but maybe not a gunner's mate master chief. Right. And I say that, and I, I can think of a gunner's mate master chief that is, appears to be killing it as a CMC of a <laughs> of an air squadron. But you yeah. know, it's I think you could get away with it more in certain arenas. But yeah. like when you cross, when you cross, like if we had a surface C CMC try to come be a cob, it wouldn't work. Oh, or yeah. even a submarine squadron well, CMC. I mean, but if I, you have like submariner being a, sh a ship CMC, like yeah. It's a stretch. Like you're at the you're at the edge of how far this will stretch. But I can you know, see how it would work. The, the the special warfare and special operations community. You know, we're all tight across different branches, right? You yeah. know, like like yeah. I think honestly, there's a closer identification between the different elements of special operations than there right. are internal to branch. Which I yeah. question if that's a good thing or not. But it is what it is. Right. So we were just talking about the Marine Corps and how they assign their senior leaders. So first sergeants yeah. and sergeants major in the Marine Corps. They basically, they, they do, you know, you could call it cross rating for all intents and purposes. Like they go at, at eight, they go onto the command track, right? They basically yeah. refer to being command, you know, leadership positions. Right. And so the current Sergeant major at MARSOC, he's not an operator. He is, he's a, he's a motor T. I can't remember if he's, he's either motor T or like a, a fueler, like something, not even oh, that's combat. Real. That's really And, weird. and. You know, it's a serious issue at Marsoc because, of course, the command senior enlisted dude, uh, you doesn't know, he goes it. with he goes with the CG. Well, he doesn't get the the community, the, yeah, the culture of the yeah. community for sure, but he also goes with the CG out to like you know major major meetings where they're basically identifying what deployment sites, what elements of the command are going to own. Yeah, 
And so, you know, he's sitting there at a table with a 34 year seal master chief and, you know, yeah. a 32 year PJ and, yeah. you know, an army SF guy who's dumb, been and, dumb question. Go ahead. Marsock, I think it, it's pretty new, isn't it? Are there uh, even originally guys that stood up in 2006? So, but, but so here's the thing. Are, are they, there guys that have progressed to the level? Of, yeah, there, there are eights and nines in Marsock okay, because, okay. because part I, of I what think, they yeah. did was they basically, you know, back in there were two, guys so, that like part way into their career that came into Marsock. Well, there was that. And they also basically okay. took the first and second force reconnaissance companies Oh, and just converted you know, them. And they became the first and second Marine Special Operations Battalions, which are now called okay, Raider gotcha. Battalions. Gotcha, and so, yeah. you know, they already had built in, you know, yeah. eights and okay, nines. That makes, already that makes a lot of sense. So why thing, isn't it one of those guys? Well, because of that whole split that they have, right? So yeah, like yeah. you're if you're a cool guy doing cool guy things and you really like doing cool guy things, do you want to convert over to go be a first sergeant where they the yeah. Marine Corps can assign you anywhere? Or do you yeah. want to go on the master sergeant, master gunnery sergeant track and get to continue doing cool guy things for the rest of your career? Sure. And so they have a master gunnery sergeant. Like they, in the last couple of years, they hired a master gunnery sergeant, you know, uh, raider to sit there and be that senior enlisted special okay. operator. But gotcha. they still have a sergeant major who's there who, you know, <laughs> he's like, I talked to my that's, buddies in Marsoc yeah. and he's, you know, he's haircuts, uniforms, customs, and courtesies. And that's all he cares yeah. about. Right. And like to me, and this is this is personal bias speaking, but there is nothing less credible than a senior enlisted dude whose sole function is be you know is haircuts, uniforms, customs, and courtesies, yeah. right? Yeah. Like yeah. care and feeding of your men or of your men and women. I I I show my biases as a prior submariner and his duty's been in yeah, for a I'm, long time. I do time. it too, man. I'm working but, on it. <laughs> You I've know, served with females on yeah, submarines. Yeah, and, and I have, and and like I and have, it's some, like I still struggle with it. Some some real rock star females in in NSW oh, these yeah. days. Like, I mean, yeah. you can well, you can look at Senior Kent as a perfect example of that. Yeah. Yep. But you know, it, it's it's one of those things that you, I get, and and I do not want to sit there and be the the NSW tech who thinks he's you know an operator, and why can't I have a beard? And, yeah. you know, why do I have to have grooming standards and why do I have to wear a uniform and all these rules are dumb? You know, I'm not that dude, but by the same token, it also is a real, our CMC, you know, he is a dude who he's been in the, in the community for a very long time. Mm-hmm. He's worked at a number of different operational levels and a number of different Naval Special Warfare commands. And he's extremely competent and has an incredible reputation. Right. And I think that realistically, like we were talking about, that's what you need a CMC in, in a sensitive position like right. that I think it, to look yeah. like. Like you I think can't, it's different in communities like ours that it's like it's more important that it it's one of our own. But I think there's definitely communities where you can get away with it being yeah. whoever like you that know, model. I mean, like espe- I, especially if you know, especially if you know that you're going to have a strong group of like other eights and nines in there yeah. that are that are rated in that or that are rated tied into that community that are going to sit there and be able to help that dude get across the line. But I think part of the, one of the big things is if you are in that position and you, you know, you show up cross community as a nine, your Mm -hmm. first order of business is to qualify is to qualify as a warfare specialist. Yep. Right. To get a SWAS if you're a submarine command master chief. I mean, my, my, my last unit, uh, as a freaking our SEA that we had at the start, he didn't have a ZXW pin. Yeah. And I, I showed up there and I was the senior pin on board beat just because of the way some weird stuff that had gone on with the manning of the unit. Cause I, you know, yeah. I, I pinned back in 2008 and so it's 2016 
And like, there's a couple dudes who they pinned in like 2010, 2011. And I stood up in a, a warfare program. And what yeah. killed me is that senior chief was so concerned with how he was going to be perceived, you know, going in front of a board of guys who are junior to him and were already qualified. Yeah. That he delayed going and getting qualified. I basically until I sat there and went to the OIC and said, sir, like <laughs> so I'm, I'm doing my certs up right now and there's a place like, on there for the commands for the SCA to sign. Yeah. I don't think it makes sense for the SCA to sign right. if, if he's, he's not, not qualified. qualified and OIC sat there and went, yeah, you're right. And yeah, you know, sit and, and call him into the it's office. It's so stupid. It's like, like t- how much credibility do you gain if you're that SEL and you show up and you're immediately like, where's the warfare guy at? Hey, I need, I'm dink. Give me a qual card. Let's make this happen as you soon know, as is humanly possible. And, and, and I want to knock this thing out of the park. What does that get back to? It gets back to that humility, ah, you know, God, like yeah. humility and servant, servant leadership thing. Like there's so many you know, and I guess this this kind of gets back to you know, and and we're definitely going to have to revisit this and just focus in on the For chief sure. piece. Yeah, but, I'm about to have to wrap this up, but, f- but finish your thought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, what do we talk about when we talk about chiefs? We talk about humility and like like in during season, right? Yeah. It's humility and servant leadership, and it's not about you anymore. It's right. about your 100%. people. Yep. You have to show that in your day-to-day yeah. actions. If you're, yeah. if if what you see, if what I see in my day-to-day actions, I'll give you an example from my current command. I have a chief who I only deal with if he, you know, in the context of him causing heartburn among his, you know, and I've talked about it a little bit earlier, causing heartburn yeah, with yeah. his sailors and causing heartburn with me or causing heartburn in meetings. Like he'll show up to a first class meeting and sit in on it. And nobody's comfortable to sit there and be like, Hey chief, this is a first right. class meeting. You need to leave. So who's going to say that to a chief, right? I 100% think you should, but. Oh, I've, I would, well, what I ended up doing, you know. Privately was, maybe, but yeah. Uh, I, I, I took the route that I'm sure he probably considers the, uh, the wimp route. I went to the CMC and I sat there and I said, Hey, mass chief, uh, this chief has been, he's been putting on, injecting himself a lot into first class stuff. And like, I understand if he's there to provide mentorship and guidance, no heartburn, no foul, no hurt. But a lot of times it seems like he's just sitting there kind of trying to poke the pear and cause drama. And that's that I don't think that's 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 not an example of leadership to me. That's an example of somebody sitting there and exerting authority to exert authority. Right. Right. And like we're given authority to exert it on behalf of the nation and on behalf of our people. We're not given it because we want to sit there and make make people dance like puppets. Yeah. And I think that that's about as good a thought as I can. I can close out on, but I appreciate your time. Yeah, man. And, and I can tell you, like I do, we talk about a lot of like the problems and negativity and stuff, but I had an experience on a submarine. I go out and do inspections on submarines. I think Mm -hmm. I've talked about it a little bit. And so I get to go ride them and, and see a very wide spectrum of cultures and leadership styles. And I was out there on one recently where, uh, soon as we stepped on board, it just felt different. You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? And, and it was like, everybody was like getting after it, man. Oh, yeah. Like just in a good mood and like at whole chain of command, like from department, junior department head, because you know how it is on submarines with oh, yeah. officers. Yep. All the way up to the commanding officer, it, like going out of their way to stop by. Cause And when we do these inspections, generally they're in conjunction with an ORS. So where's mm-hmm. everybody's attention? Oh, right? God, that's stopping rough, man. By, yeah, stopping <laughs> by to talk to the SMI team is at the bottom of most 1120s yep. give, a, give a crap list, right? Yeah, yeah. So every single one of them multiple times stopping by to check in on us. I, do you guys need anything? How's it going in here? Do you guys good? 
And like the whole inspection went great. And the interesting part was the guy I was inspecting was a chief that effectively quit. Uh, And I I use that word for lack of a better word where he was set up to fail. Uh, I was I was working with him at the time on a boat and just personal life was in shambles. The chief's mess was was eating his soul out of his body every chance they got. And he was struggling with his division. It was like the perfect storm for a guy to fail. So and I warned people and was like waving my hands like, hey, this guy's got issues and he needs help. And I like, let me come underway and I'll teach him how to do his job better. Like you guys got to help this guy. Um, so you end up having issues and and to the point where it got really bad in his personal life and he just chose his family because, of course, he did. Yeah. Uh, and, and as you would reasonably a- expect somebody to. Right. Like- and wa- effectively walked away. And so I got to I was inspecting this dude on this platform with this culture and he was killing it. And I was so happy to see it. I, I mean, and then culture. I went and good. Sorry. I yeah. Keep- so I, I went and talked to their cob and I like one of the coolest guys I've ever met. Mm-hmm. And I'm in cob call. So I said, look, shitmate. And I said it and did this twice. <laughs> I said, you're welcome. So I, I said, when you guys get back, I'm you're going to see me with my cob card in my hand and we're going to sit down and talk about how you did this. And I was like, because I've been on six submarines since I started just this job, not to mention the ones I did full tours on. And this is the most amazing culture I've ever seen. And I'm like, I, I'm beside myself right now. And he was like the, the most humble dude ever. Like he looked at me like shocked that I even said it. And he's like, man, thank you. Like that means a lot to me that you just said that. And I like it's a it's amazing that's that you recognize it that way. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to talk to you about it, man. Stop by anytime. And so like I want to share that because it's like. It's like we focus so much on the negative, man, but there are places out there doing it right. So it's not a unicorn that we're talking about. Like this stuff is real and it can happen. And I mean, like, you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, Yeah. And and this is, you know, I want to I want to end on a positive, actually, now that for sure that we're talking about it. So when I so when I switched over from being on the bag recruiter to go in and be in the scout, uh, I had been at it for like three weeks. Right. And then I wrecked a motorcycle and it was bad. It was real bad. I broke both my arms. I had a TBI. I had some road rash. And, you know, my chief, who was, he was a first name guy because he was was an NSW guy, right? When I called him and told him, like, the very first thing he says, oh, God damn it. And then the next thing he said was, what do you need right now? What can I do? Do you need me to come? And he lived three hours away from me. And yeah. he was offering to drive down three hours to yeah. sit there and make sure that I was okay. And then, and, and like, like there, there was this, you know, he, he went out and he went after it. And I like, I've had so many examples of that, but I think the biggest thing is that, you know, culture is the first place you got to look. And that mentality of, if you take care of your sailors, they're going to take care of you. Right. Yeah. And I would yep. do anything for any day of the week and not because I wanted him to go away, but just because like, that's chief. Yeah. yeah. Was asking me to do it. <laughs> I'll, and, I'll get rid of it. Don't worry about it. You know, and like when he, when he retired a couple of years ago, like it killed me cause I was in Iraq. I couldn't come to his retirement ceremony. Right. Yeah. But you know, it was, it was one of those things that, you know, you look at it and it was like you, you could feel the loss, but you also could see the impact he had and just the sheer number of folks that were flying out to go to this dude's retirement. Yeah. And it was all about the cultural impact he had had because his first and his first last uh, first last thought every day had been his sailors and like building that culture, building that positive unit culture where getting after it and working hard is rewarded 
and where people want to take care of each other, that's where we get to that place that, that, that I think a lot of folks use that they're maybe a little unentitled to is, oh, this, this unit's like a family. Like you, I've heard that at almost every unit I've ever been stationed. And I can, of, of the, 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 of all the ones I've been at, I can only think of a couple where that's been true, but yeah. man, when it's true, it is, it yep. is something to behold where you'll see the whole unit get together as a team to go and help somebody because their house flooded, not because, you know, oh, hey, it gets me out of the, the building, but because it's their sister and they want to do it. And that's yeah. something I see the chief's mess try to sustain internally. And I think that trying to spread that love and that idea outside of the, outside of the yeah. mess would be an incredible thing. Right. Anyways, thank you so much for talking with me tonight, man. I really yeah, appreciate man. you listening to me ramble about <laughs> all things NSW and submarining hey. and everything else. I, it was an absolute pleasure, man. And it's what I do. So like I, I'm, I'm asking for it and I'm getting it and I'm enjoying every second of it. So I really appreciate you taking the time to do it as well. We're definitely going to have to do this again because we're at three hours and I don't feel like we're done yet. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I did. I had a, a really, obviously, just by the length of the podcast, you should understand that I enjoyed it quite a bit. And we've already, we already talked at the end of that, of that interview about doing it again and focusing uh, more on some Chiefs Mess stuff and, and some other stuff that we wanted to talk about. But uh, like always, I'm always interested to hear your feedback, comments, concerns, questions. And if you're interested in doing something similar, uh, hit us up. Don't give up the shit podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message me. Don't give up the shit podcast, or you can DM me on Instagram or Reddit at D guts podcast or just D guts podcast on, on uh, Reddit. And uh, l- let me know what you think. Uh, always happy to engage. Uh, it's, it's really fun getting to talk to you guys about all these things. Um, and then just getting ideas from you on podcasts, getting to answer questions with podcasts. Recently we did everything's on fire. Uh, that was a direct result of interaction with a listener, asking questions, had some discussions, and then got to got to lay down a podcast talking about it to share those lessons with other people. So that's kind of the whole point. Uh, some of the interactions I had with that sailor was it was also really cool that uh, she was sharing the platform with her juniors, and it's it created conversations and was used as a leadership development tool, which is a, exactly the vision I had in mind when I started doing this was just to get a conversation started. Like it's not the end all be all resource. I want to get a conversation started. So I'm really, really glad to see that happening more and more. Like I said, hit us up if you need anything. If you want to support us, dgetspodcast.com slash shop. I won't spend a lot of time on that. I know you guys hear me talk about it all the time. And then, like I said at the beginning, like, share, subscribe, uh, review us on all the things. Uh, It helps us get the word out there as we do not have the money to pay for all the fancy, shiny social media advertisement stuff. So, uh, And that's it. Thank you so much for listening, and don't give up the ship. Peace.